Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. We are all entitled to sexual health, just as much as physical and mental health. We want to make it easier for folks to find resources. However they engage with us, there's no wrong door. So it's important that people are able to get access to care that is affirming. Talking about what their sex life is, about their concerns, and to make sure they're healthy. Do it for them. Do it for you, Montgomery County. Your sexual health matters. Visit doitforyoumc.org. Hey everyone, Scott Hansen here from NFL Red Zone. I hope you're checking out one hour of Five Yard Rush, one of the best podcasts on NFL football in the UK. Welcome Rush Nation to the Five Yard Rush DFS podcast. I'm Mark Ferguson and this is the next pod in our strategy series talking to the top DFS players about various aspects of their DFS lives. Sadly, my usual partner in crime, Nick Owen, can't join us for this one. Well, I say sadly, but He's gone on holiday to Ibiza, so I'm not going to have too much sympathy for him. Um, today, though, I'm joined by a very special guest who is probably the most famous DFS content creator currently around. As well as known for winning, he's also known for play whoever you want, vomit stacks, and being the most transparent guy in the industry. He's also the co-author of The Theory of DFS, a 15-hour audio masterclass on how to play like a professional DFS player. And he does multiple shows on Road to Grinders, such as the pregame show, which is a which is Monday to Friday at 4pm UK time. It is, of course, Jordan Cooper, at BlenderHD on Twitter. Welcome, Jordan. Thank you very much for your time. Well, no problem. I mean, I listened to the, to the Saramac episode, and me and him go way back when I started playing in 2015 with the soccer DFS. That's how I started. And uh, he, was, he was the guy that was uh, like, I need to study his lineups, and I need to learn how to play better because he seems to be winning everything. And uh, it's 2021, and in the soccer <laughs> lobby, uh, things haven't changed. <laughs> He's still winning. He's still winning. Um, yeah. Although he didn't win the big 100,000 because Alex Baker won that with his guy off the bench. 
Right now, he forgot. Alex <laughs> just forgot. He forgot that he didn't check the lineups and he left uh, Thomas Mounier in. And yeah. then he came in and, okay, stuff. feel free. That's not a long-term viable strategy. And I'm <laughs> sure that Alex will just throw up his hands and go, well, I played 150 lineups and I didn't swap out the starting 11s and whatever. Yeah. Well, I the reason that really resonated with me, because I did exactly the same thing on the – I qualified for the – DraftKings World Cup because of that, because of that same mistake. And so I was, um, and then ultimately we came second and we won some money. So, you know, not quite as much as Alex, but, you know, enough to make me happy. So um, anyway, before we get into the DFS, just a quick thing. You, you used to be a stand-up comedian. Is that correct? Yeah, I was, I was a professional stand-up comedian for about 15 years. 15 years. And that was in, around New York, like Seinfeld. Well, I mean, I, start, I started in New York City when I was 17. Uh, but then I, I moved out here to Louisville, Kentucky, which is in like the middle of the country. So I was doing more road work and I'm a computer person also. So like stand up comedy doesn't really pay the bills unless you're famous. So like it, it, you're, you're a starving artist, you're getting paid, but it's not much. You're driving around the country or whatever. Uh, so, I mean, I, I was a web developer on wall street. I, 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 I did more contract work so I could do comedy more. And I also played in my mid twenties, I played poker for a living. So like my, my, my whole thing, my whole thing is uh, my, my goal is to never have a, a quote real job. And I I've never had a, like a real full-time job going into an office with a boss, whatever, since I was like 23 years old. So like, wow. that's, that, that's, that's been, that's been my, you know, that my, my lifelong, like if I can never have a real job and make enough money to pay the bills, like I'm happy. So like uh, doing stand-up comedy, I could, I could take my laptop on the road and still do web development work. I would still like, uh, uh, d- during the day, you're not doing anything. I mean, the, the shows are shows are at night. So if I'm doing like a, a Wednesday through Saturday in Greensboro, North Carolina, like most of the time, Thursday afternoons, Friday afternoons, uh, I'm either, you know, e- either you're in a, in a motel or, or a condo with Wi-Fi. And if they don't have Wi-Fi, I'm going to finding a Panera Bread or a Starbucks or whatever. And then just working on my 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 web web consulting work, and uh, and then performing at night. And then once poker came around, then I was playing poker more often in between gigs. And then moving out to Kentucky, I was doing so much more work in the Midwest and the South of the United States that it made no sense for me to. I wasn't getting paid enough that to fly. It would eat up like all my paycheck. So it's like I'm driving out. It's like why am I driving eleven hours each way? For, for a three-day gig, I, why don't I just move to a place that's cheaper to live? I mean, in comparison to New York City, everywhere is cheaper. So now, now I've been in Louisville here for almost almost 14 years. And, uh, and even, even making a, you know, uh, an, a decent living DFS-wise and content-wise, like Louisville, it, the standard of living is, is quite low. So like I could kind of live like a king. <laughs> um okay um <laughs> moving and moving on so when did you so when did you start the dfs and when did that become sort of like your well not full yeah your full-time job i suppose well I, I mean i started in 2015 october and i haven't watched like american sports in a long time like once i started playing poker and traveling around like I didn't care, like maybe 2004, 2005, I stopped really following baseball. I stopped following American football. 
uh, hockey, all those. I, I when I was a kid, I played fantasy sports. I played rotisserie baseball. I I was I collected baseball cards. I read the backs of the cards. I was into sabermetrics, the Bill James books. Like I was into the season long game. I played like really deep leagues when I was t- when I was a teenager. Uh, but then once you get to a certain point, like in your mid twenties or something, you're like, what does sports matter? Right. What is it? I mean, like it, why is it occupying so much of my time? Uh, and that's where I got into more politics. Cause it's like, Oh, at least that this affects my life. But then that turns into sports also eventually, right. Politics, then nothing means anything there either. Uh, uh, and then, but the only sport that I followed throughout the entire time was soccer. So uh, obviously, obviously football in, in, in the UK, uh, from the, since the 94 world cup, since it was obviously here in the United States and I was what, 15 years old. So like I got into the world cup back then with Stoichkov and Bergkamp and you know, that, that, that era of, of soccer with the, the Batistuta was on Argentina and we had, uh, who was that? I forgot the Brazilians where well, we had Bebeto and Jorginho, mm. all those guys. And then I, st- then, uh, ESPN and ESPN two started showing a uh, champions league here. And it was oh, like okay. the first time like soccer was on. And that's when I got into all those good Ajax teams. Yeah. That was the, that was the, that was the late nineties. Uh, so they showed Manchester United. They showed Ajax, but it was mostly like whatever one champions league highlighted game. They showed at two 30 in the afternoon on ESPN. So now I could, now I could watch club club soccer. And then from there, I had a friend that was also into soccer and he, he's a, uh, He's Irish, so he had a, a, a predilection towards Liverpool and Celtic. So we we started watching. You know, when, once once the Premier League started showing up here in the U.S. on TV, uh, occasionally we we would watch we would watch Liverpool games. So so ever since then, I've been you know we had Satanta Sports and then Fox Sport Fox Soccer Channel was here. We we got to the point where you could watch soccer easily here than you could in the UK. Yeah, we definitely. had so much access to everything, mm-hmm. uh, and so I just followed soccer and uh, DraftKings and FanDuel and all the DFS sites were primarily focused on NFL, on NBA, and I wasn't even watching those channels, so I didn't even get like that that the ad blitz that they had here. Like I was barely exposed to it. I would hear it on podcasts or so. I'd be like, ah, it's probably some challenge thing, some type of modified sports betting thing that no one could win at or something. It's like the back of the sporting news. They used to be a challenge when I was a teenager, pick out your, pick out your players for the whole season, send it in. And, uh, and maybe if you get the perfect score, you win a million dollars. So I was like, I wasn't that interested. And then uh, uh, we got a, we got a uh, soccer team here in the USL, which is the second division of us soccer. Uh, So I, so I'm a season ticket holder and I started going to games and I'm in the supporter groups and, and so, and people knew me as, you know, I'm the, I'm the nerdy guy with the, the website. I developed the website for the supporter club. You know, like I was, oh, okay. was doing that type of stuff. And, and one of them played on DraftKings. that said, do, do you play a, do you play EPL? Do you play premier league uh, daily fantasy on DraftKings? I like, no, I said, well, you, you probably are going to be, you'd probably be good at it. I mean, this, this is, this is right up your alley. So downloaded it. I put 400 bucks on and, Okay, I'll pick some players, right? I mean, I know, I know the Premier League. I watch I watch this every Saturday and Sunday. Uh, and then once I saw the, the the way that it was organized, it reminded me very much of online poker. Mm-hmm. It, it like that like as far as like tables, like tournaments. I didn't know how anything was organized. But I'm also the type of person that I'm I'm an all in. I'm a very uh, uh, I'm probably on the spectrum somewhere. 
where like if I get into something, I get like really deep, mm. like like into it. So like I just started reading and watching videos on just like DFS, just not not even soccer because there wasn't that much soccer content. Just like the game of this, because I learned how to play poker through the two plus two books. David Sklansky, Mason Malmuth, Ray Z, Dan Harrington. And the, the seminal work is from 1983, The Theory of Poker by David Sklansky. So I figured this, it's, this is big enough. I'll, I'll, I'm just playing soccer. So I'm not even playing the other sports because I don't even know who's on what team or anything. There has to be a theory of, of daily fantasy sports. There has to be, right? It's just too popular for there not to be a book that ex- explains the game theory and the math of this game. And there really wasn't. Jonathan Bales had some uh, fantasy football for smart people books on Amazon. And, and Bales, I would consider to be like the godfather of daily fantasy game theory. Uh, but most of his books were, were, were very rudimentary. They were, be- they were built for a casual audience on how to get started. There would be some game theory. I could see the game theory in there. He would mention things and whatever, but mostly it was very pragmatic advice and and obviously I never I never found that and so I decided to make it myself because if hey if it's not going to get made I might I I might as well do it uh but in just reading and and going through content from other sports and studying sharper players lineups like Saramac pew 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 old t red coat you know they're they're still all around pretty much mm. uh figuring out why they built the lineups the way they did not necessarily on, did they think a player was going to do well? Just like, what are the optimal constructions? Had, had, what, 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 what's the game theory of, you know, like in poker and like, yeah, obviously pocket aces is the best hand, but I can't purposely get them. I mean, like I would love to, yeah, sure. Give me pocket aces every hand. I'll, 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 I'll win all the money. So like, I just wanted to learn that. So through the course of, of studying, and, you know, I was only playing a slate, like, because DraftKings only had, like, Premier League on weekends, Champions League when it was going, like, MLS here in the United States, although the contests were small. So I was just playing soccer for a good year or so, just learning how to play. And in the course of the year, just playing soccer, I took 400 bucks. Uh, I had a good day on Boxing Day that, that, that year. So that was, like, three months later. So I was, like, I was playing, like, 20 bucks a slate. I was playing 30 bucks a slate, you know, stuff like that playing some cash games, playing some double ups, playing some GPPs, playing, you know, low stakes stuff. And then on Boxing Day, I had a whole bunch of lineups because I won some tickets and they had a $20 contest. And they're like, oh, $20 contest. I can't afford that. But I won some satellites. And then I placed a whole bunch of lineups. I came in like 9th, 11th, 13th, like nothing at the top, but enough so that it equaled out to like 2,400 bucks. So that, that was like my biggest hit. And then, of course, I'm like, oh, well, now I now I could afford to play the twenty seven dollar contest. So you go through that thing. And then a month later, I'm back down to four hundred bucks. Right. Because, you, <laughs> oh, I solved everything. No, no, you didn't solve anything. You don't understand what var- the variance in the, in, the, in the game is. So but over the course of from that January through uh, October, I turned four hundred into about twelve thousand uh, and then started take. Now that I start to understand how to play the game better. I expanded into PGA was once a week. So I'm like, let me try PGA. And then M- then once MLB came around, like I, I know baseball. It's just that I don't know the players anymore because I haven't followed it in 15 years. So it's like, let me, let me learn baseball. What are the nuances of game theory apply to baseball? And then I moved into NFL because that was highly, there's more money there. And then NBA and less and less playing soccer. So like I still 
soccer was my main sport, but I, I used to play like every slate, even the little interleague slates and everything until the point where, where it's, it's, it's not worth my time. Like now it's just not worth my, my time. The amount of effort it takes is the same regardless that uh, do I prioritize as one person? Do I play uh, uh, the MLB afternoon slate on Saturday or the Serie A two game slate with a thousand dollar prize pool? And even if I want to get cash action, the only cash action that's in the lobby are with all the sharp players. So it's like, where, where, where's my edge there? So really I took everything from, from soccer and then expanded to different sports so I could branch out. And then, uh, then when I was doing soccer, I, I'm, I'm a, since I'm a comedian, right? I was, I was, I stopped doing stand up. I was doing more web marketing work, taking less gigs. Like I still need an outlet. So I just started a fantasy flush podcast. Like basically every day I just get solo on, on a microphone and, and bitch and moan about the soccer slates or whatever. And then, uh, you know, the soccer people would, uh, would listen to it. And then eventually, you know, uh, Andrew Laird had an opening on the, the Rotowire soccer podcast and said, said, you want to come on and talk strategy? I'm like, okay, sure. One off episodes. And then eventually I came on and started doing the, the Premier League analysis every week. And then from there, you know, I'm doing periscopes. I'm, you know, I'm just ranting and raving. And then, uh, then the Roto Grinders reaches out to me and says, uh, you know, you know, you, you want to do your stuff here. I'm like, sounds good. Then you'll pay me. Sure. Okay. <laughs> and it's not, it's not a lot of money, but it's, 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 it's uh, recurring revenue where it evens out the swings of your DFS play. So I still consider myself first and foremost, a DFS player that happens to also do content, but I'm doing the same thing at the same time. So I, I see no reason. I see no reason not to. And I, I, I like to entertain teaching is one thing, but I mean, I just, I like getting on a camera. I like getting on a microphone. I'm used to doing stand up for 15 years, me and a microphone entertaining an audience. It so happens to be fantasy sports. So if you add a little humor to it and then oh, people want to, people want to listen to you. So like, that's kind of the progression of me playing. And now now I, I I pretty much don't do web marketing anymore. Like like from a full time basis, I've been doing this pro- probably for the past maybe two years as like where where daily fantasy sports has been like a hundred percent of my income now, between the playing and the content. Yeah. yeah. But throughout the, the early period, I was still having local web marketing mm-hmm. clients and doing development work. And since I work at home, I mean, obviously, you know. It's two in the afternoon who says I can't take a two hour break and look at some stats and build some lineups. Right. It's I'm in my pajamas anyway, as long as I don't have a meeting to go out to, like I was spending more time on DFS than I was on my client work. Uh, and then getting to the point where I just didn't need the client work anymore. So um, as we're an audio part pod, just so everybody knows, um, Jordan's, um, pajamas are pink and fluffy. (laughs) Um, I was, um, Funny, funny you say about um, Rotowire and then Fantasy Flush. So I first came across your content was with Rotowire and Andrew Laird. And, um, and he's a very calming influence, Andrew Laird, isn't he? He's like got a very nice calming voice and stuff. And then I listened to, so that's why I heard you first. Then I listened to a Fantasy Flush episode and I was like, boy, this bloke's angry. (laughs) I really was. It was like, wow, I could play this in front of the kids. It's like, (laughs) it was so That was the point. I was, I was, I was, I was being the Bill Burr, Lewis Black type. I mean, that's, I'm I'm a Jewish New Yorker from Brooklyn. I mean, like, 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 like I'm going to bitch and moan and curse and whatever. And, and, and what, just stream of conscious and whatever comes out of my mouth that it, 
but that to me that's an outlet to me that that was my comedic outlet where i could talk and and have a couple hundred people that actually get the references and be like okay that's it i'm 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 performing for more people on the podcast than i would be going to greensboro north carolina you know in front of a bunch of rednecks and tell some dick jokes (laughs) and dealing with hecklers less hecklers when you're doing a pod presumably (laughs) well i mean on twitter maybe it's like (laughs) um okay so um, you've answered that one. Da, 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 da. So when, just thinking about how you play now, because we'll come on to your game theory and everything, because not everybody will will have heard your content, understand how your content is different to a lot of the content out there in terms of how you approach stuff, you know, with your transparency and also your game theory stuff and your lineups, not player stuff. But thinking about when you started now, how long did it take you before you kind of, you clicked into playing like that? Maybe a year or two in. It's always a progression. I'm all to me. I'm always learning, and I'm always trying to get better. I'm always trying to analyze. I'm always trying to figure out, you know, op- optimal decision making. And uh, the better data that you have, the better tools that you have, the 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 field changes, the edge the edges change, the different game types. There's always something to figure out. There's always something that the field is doing too much of that you can exploit. So, like my 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 goal is to find find the exploits so in the first year or two my, my goal was just to learn the fundamentals of the gameplay and i would get stuff wrong all the time right i would look and see some lineups and go how did they construct it? why this way right why why are people doing this over that right is stacking an mlb is that is that it seems like most people do most sharp players do that they must be doing it for a reason i mean a lot a lot of the a lot of the my my attitude towards towards playing DFS is, is, is not, I wouldn't call it survivorship bias, but there's money on the, whenever there's money on the line, the people that are making the most money are most likely doing something right or doing something right more so than other people. So if I look at MLB and I see people stacking five, five batters from a team uh, and that's what, Every, every player that I respect and every player that seems to be winning seems to be doing something like that. Like I have to, I, my first assumption has to be that they're correct for doing so because they have money on the line and they're, and they're profitable doing seemingly profitable. Uh, but that doesn't mean I take it at face value. Maybe that, maybe that, maybe that's the easiest way, but maybe not the best way. So then you experiment and you go, well, what happens if I use a different, instead of using correlation, let me use leverage. And just like I could play one-offs just as long as positionally. And I started doing some data analysis in Excel, downloading CSVs and, you know, just running them and, and seeing that, no, no, the sharper players are right. Yep. Yep. They were, they were right. I mean, but there's no reason for me not to, you know, to check to see if maybe some people are doing things slightly wrong, but that's a, that's a lot of, of what I, what I preach. Like a lot of it is built around the efficient market hypothesis. Like the efficient market hypothesis is, is flawed. It, 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 it comes from finance. So in, in, uh, in EMH, it means that uh, the stock market has to be 100% efficient because uh, of uh, all the price discovery has already been done. All the information is already out there. All the feud, anything that's been priced in is that's known it's like oh this thing's gonna happen two years from now well if you know it that means everyone that means the field already knows this okay and it's already priced in so in dfs you have the player pricing and and you have the the ownership 
of the players. Now, typically, they go hand in hand. If you, if you did analysis, uh, especially in something like golf, the highest predictor of, of success in the future is the ownership because the market is more efficient. Mm. So, like, if a guy is owned, it's most likely they're undervalued because that's what you do in the stock market. You'd be like, I think this stock is undervalued. I'm going to buy it. Well, if you found that it was undervalued, that means other people would also be buying it and the price would go up and eventually hit an efficient point. So I believe in efficient pricing versus efficient ownership. Now, obviously, with the way that the sites are, they price things very statically and there may not be efficient pricing. But the problem is, is that if most of the field can identify inefficient pricing, the ownership should be efficient also. So the main thing, the main thing that I'm doing in, in, in daily fantasy is finding where the ownership isn't efficient. Um, I, I, I have to, I have to assume based on the projections that I'm looking at that I could identify who is underpriced for their median, their middle outcome in a normal distribution curve. Uh, but most of the field gets that anyway. I mean, yes, in the large field contests, when a lot of casual money, those are, the, those are the least efficient contests, which is why I target them the most. But in very sharp contests, the highest owned players and the, the line of constructions that the way that the sharp players play uh, are more likely, are more, the difference between those lineups are going to be very marginal between each other. So I need to find the contests that have people playing irrationally away from the efficient market hypothesis. And then what is the efficient ownership of those players versus the chances of winning first place? So the difference between many people that play DFS is that they think in terms of that mean value of like, oh, well, this guy is 3,400 and he really should be 4,200 for his 10-point median projection. Like his, his distribution of outcomes maybe in the high end may actually be low. Maybe his chances of being in the first place lineup is actually not as high as his owners. I mean, like, like he's good for like getting in that bulk, that mm. narrow part of the of the curve, but maybe it's not for the the high end and people, and that's that's what you're exploiting. So to me, like you had Saramek on that he goes very much by like he has his projections. Oh, it's all about his projections. Right. It's all said. about his projections. Yeah, he, all about his projections. he does his stuff in R, which yeah. is fine. Right. I don't know R. I don't know. I could probably learn Python from my background. Uh, I don't make my own projections. I rely on public on publicly available projections. I believe also when it comes to just work in general, I want to make the most amount of money for the least amount of work. Like that's my goal. Right. It's so noble, noble goal. Right. Any additional work that you do has to be in proportion to how much more money you're going to make. I could spend, I could build my own projection model. It's not like I don't know how to do it, right? I know Excel. I, I, I know these statistical concepts. I, I, could get, I could scrape the data. I could do it all myself. Am I going to build, am I going to build short-term a better projection model than Derek Cardi in baseball, who has an, an eight-plus year head start on me and has already run everything that he could possibly no no or 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 an NFL or the NBA model on roto grinders or pick your site awesome whatever like no not in the short term maybe it'll take me a couple of years but let's say 
it'll take me three or four years to get a model that could be better than that. Like how much better is it going to be? Like, like how, how much, how much better than that is, is it? I don't know. I don't think it's going to be much better anyway. So now I have two things against me. I have to spend a whole ton of time and work hundreds of hours. I have to learn new programming languages just to potentially be slightly better than what's already existing that I could just pay 40 bucks for or pay a hundred bucks for or subscribe to a site or something like that. Are they the best models? Probably not. The sharper players have their own proprietary models that are probably slightly better, but how much is it worth to do that? I, since my style of play is not based on having the best projections, I have to win a different way. I have to win by having the best gauge of roster construction and ownership and using game theory to just like, I'm looking at the same projections as a half the people that are playing in the game in the contest, right? I'm on shows showing people, these are the projections that I use. And now I'm going to build. And, and they look at the lineup side, they, they see that I win money and they're like, well, I use the same projections as you. And I, I and I lose money. I said, yeah, because you're just going, you're going blindly by the numbers. You're not, you're not, you're not going to win by just this. Everyone already has this. This is an efficient market hypothesis. They already have this information. So simply pressing a button and running some, some basic correlation and just going, I just want to play the best lineups. You'll get a lot of min cash lineups because it's all based around these mean and median values. It's like, no, you have to, you have to run based on, on uh, versus what the field's going to do. What's the efficient ownership of a player? What's the efficient ownership of a lineup? What's, what line like and you and you, and you still have to trust the model. You say the number's the number. This guy's projected for a range of 15 to 27. Okay, what are the percentiles of that? It's like, okay, compared to those percentiles, compared to the ownership, is it is this player in a vacuum plus EV or minus EV? And if they're a high probability player, it doesn't mean you don't play I can't play a minus EV player. No, just you just have to make sure your lineup is plus EV. And then when then you could get come into simulations when it comes to you mm-hmm. can test your theories based on that, but that's the general concept. So when, when, when will, when Saramek, I know it's like where I listen to the podcast and he's like, you know, I'll play whatever you want and just whatever type of thing. It's like, it's not, it's not like I'm not using projections. I am using projections. It's just that I'm not using my own projections. So I can't just win with the projections. I have to win with something else. He's relying on the fact in a large sample size his projections are going to be slightly different to the public's anyway. So his lineups are most likely going to be somewhat leveraged as it is, right? Because he'll have a two point higher projection for some guy that no one else does because he believes his model is better. And that guy will be 7% owned and he'll have him in like 40% of his lineups. And if he does well, you see him at the top and you see him in third place and you see him in seventh place and all that, all that type of thing. Me, I'm looking at um, what everyone else is looking at going, you know, should Harry Kane be 78% owned on this slate? And I go, what are the chances no. that Harry Kane is on the winning lineup? Is it under 78%? Well, then I, it's, it's easier for me to not, it's easier for me to win to not play him, even if I'm lowering my projection by doing so. So I'll win less often, but when I win, I win more money. So that's, that's the, that's the, just the tenet of game. That's the bare basic fundamental of game theory. So all of my decisions are more dependent on what everyone else is doing, which is why it comes down to play whoever you want, because it's like I could come up on a, on a, on an MLB slate on a baseball slate. That's, you know, 12 games. 
It's like, dude, I could, I could go into Excel and I could run Sims and I could find tens of thousands of lineups that are similarly expect there's have a similar expected value and they contain uh, 283 different players in different combinations, right? Some are high variance, some are low variance, some win first place and then nothing else at all. But at the end of the day, if you run 10,000 trials, 50,000 trials, like they're about the same. So it's like, when you say to me, do you play this guy or this guy? It's like, well, I can find a lineup with that guy. That's good. And I can find a lineup with this guy. That's good. So depending on the lineup that he's, you, know, you can play, play, whoever you, play whoever you want. But that's all, that's not based on the projection. That's based on the projection versus the ownership. And that's the one thing that, that Saramek really doesn't do, at, at least from, from, my, from my knowledge, as, as a core part of his gameplay, uh, which, which to me, I think is a, more of a mistake in, in PGA, but because uh, PGA, I play completely by own. I'm just like, you know, these these two guys, these two guys are closely projected. One guy's 14% owned, one guy's 3% owned. So why am I playing the 3% owned guy? Like it just it just comes down to that. Uh, but in a large sample size, the edge by having the better model, you're gonna eat. You, it's it's like playing. It's like counting cards in blackjack. It's just like it's, as long as you as long as you just as long as you're playing every slate and just slamming your projections, you, you're going to show a profit. My, my issue is that what happens when, when too much of the field has, has two good projections, like how mm. much of that ed in 2013, that's a print fest. Even in 2015, 2016, if you had a, the projection models and stuff, there weren't that much stuff available publicly. Yeah. You're going to, you're going to make a ton of money, but now in 2021, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not sure if anyone's proprietary projection model is that in any sport is that much better than what what you could find publicly probably pay for on on some of these content sites yeah it's in yeah it's funny you said that but i because i just it took until for me last year nfl week eight was when you know you talk about this in your content like where it suddenly clicks you know you know you talk about the 95 percent of people who don't listen or don't right. hear what you're saying yeah and the five percent do and and I was a 95 percenter until last NFL no NFL week eight, and then it clicked. Okay, and I'm like, and, when, and, I'm, and then let, let me ask, let me ask you this, Mark. Hmm. When it clicks, when you finally, because hmm. I, I say this to a lot of people, and a lot of people say the same thing. When, when, when I say once you get it, you'll get it. Like you know, it, it, yeah. it'll be, it'll almost be an epiphany, right? Because yeah, you played one way the entire time, and then yeah. once you finally get it, you realize how stupid everything you've ever done before that. <laughs> ever was yeah. and why 95% of questions you hear on like DFS shows or whatever are completely irrelevant. Is that yeah. true? That is, that's a hundred percent true. I was going to say exactly that. I wish, because I've been playing since 2017 and I just think, look back on missed opportunities as it, as it were. Well, I do that also. I wish yeah. I had the bankroll now that I had yeah. back in 2015. I wish I'd had my, I didn't I'd just play $400 well, worth. Right. I wish, yeah. I mean, I, I would, I would, I would be a millionaire by now. Yeah, but yeah, but then again, I could have bought Bitcoin ten years ago as well. So you know, who knows? I know, you, I know, you're not a Bitcoin guy. Um, <laughs> um, the um, the thing, the other thing that got me think that you got me thinking about. It. So you know, for example, Saramek um, will is all about his projections. Very successful. Okay, you game theory guy, and we'll we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit. I want to I want to delve into that a little bit more if I can, because not everybody will have heard your content before about game theory, but you're a successful guy. Your co-author of the theory of DFS, James McCool, he's like a simulations guy, isn't he? 
Well, he's a project. He would be considered more of a projection. Okay, fine. Right. Okay, again, another guy very successful. I assume he's successful. He's like, it's like, um, and um, and it just feels like there's many different ways to play DFS. That's uh, that's why that's the point I'm trying to get to it. No, no, so, no. I no. There, I, I would actually fight back on that. There's okay. only one. There's only one way to play DFS. How you get to that way? There are many paths. Okay. There's all, but there's all that. There's only one. I mean. It's it's a math game, so like that. It, it, we're talking about numbers. We're talking about probabilities. So like, there are plenty of of players, and also it depends on the contest that you play. People don't realize that large field GPPs and the small field GPPs are almost like two different games. Or I mean, are almost like it's you're playing you're playing seven card stud and hold them. It's like two. They yeah, they're card games, but. And they have similar concepts, but you're you're really playing two different games. And obviously, if you're playing like head to heads, double ups, and stuff, that's completely different from GP from the, these tournaments, no matter what the size is. So, like they're they're different in and of itself. So, what the strengths and the, the ways that you would approach each of those types, it could be completely different. And your strengths may be geared towards one versus the other. But there are also many good players, especially for small field GPPs, the high stakes. Like the high stakes 400 man, you know, where it's $2,000 entry type of contests that you don't have to do. Like the concept of game theory, the larger the contest is, the the more variance you need to add to your lineups, right? You need to get more leverage in your lineups to win first out of 70,000 people. It doesn't matter what the stake size is. You play the mini max on DraftKings. That's like a quarter it's contest. Brutal. Sometimes it's hard. It's harder to win those contests because yeah. there's 118,000 entries into it. So it's not the stakes level. It's the size of the contest. So in a smaller contest, the winning score, first place score is going to be much lower. You don't have to be perfect. So in soccer, for instance, uh, if you're playing a five game soccer slate, and you're playing a hundred man, you know, they, they run the 444 or something like that. Like you could almost win with a cash lineup because mm. like if some center back from some underdog team scores, most likely no one in the contest has it. I mean, like you don't even have to worry about it in a large field contest. You may, he's uh, 1% owned and someone has him. Right. So like you have to think and note when you're building lineups for large contests, you have to, you're, you're aiming for the nuts. For nearly the nuts, but in a hundred man type contest, you don't need to, but you're still employing game theory. So we have a lot of sharp, small field players that aren't as analytical and aren't as conducive to game theory. They don't think that mathematically, but they still get there. It's very similar to poker. I, I played underground poker in New York city. I was friends with a lot of, a lot of Asians, Koreans, uh, Chinese kids, uh, and, there was there was one kid I played with, Alan Chang, uh, dropped out of dropped out of high school. He was he was a hustler. He he, he sold like uh, like sneakers, like the high end sneakers. He would hustle. He was a hustler, but he wasn't very well educated. Uh, great poker player. And when it came to like, well, why did you call there? Like on like he'll call a bet at the end and catch a guy in a bluff or whatever. And like that was the right move because. The percentage of time that guy is bluffing is probably 20%. So as long as you're getting four to one on your money, you should be calling there. Like that's the mathematical yeah, yeah. approach. His attitude was there was a lot of money in the pot. 
It's the but it's the same. This it, he's applying the same mathematical con. He's not doing the calculation. Mm. He just sees a lot of money in the pot, and the bet in c- comparison to the pot was small enough that he could have been bluffing. He doesn't know how often that guy bluffs, but he he figured intuitively in his head that he bluffs often enough that he should be calling that bet. Mm. Now he gets to the same place using the the same exact way of playing. Just he's he's not doing the compute. He's not doing the math in his head. He's not doing that type of stuff. So there are a lot of intuitive, good intuitive players that they'll win a, a, a small field like high stakes GPP by just like, well, everyone's playing this guy and I'm going to play that guy. And it's like, well, what's the game theory? Like the game theory is that obviously that guy's high owned and this guy's lower owned mm-hmm. and this guy project, they project close to each other. I mean, it's the same exact thing. Now they're not going to explain. They're not going to express it verbally as, well, this has higher expected value than this one. This one shows up first place slightly higher than this one, right? They don't know. If I ask, uh, how long do you think this guy is going to be versus that guy? They wouldn't be able to tell me, well, I think 38% and 12%. They're just going to go, I think this guy is going to be higher than the other guy, right? I don't know by what extent, but I know that that guy's a little bit over. That that, that Too many people are playing that guy. I'm going to play the other guy. Like, it's the same exact concept, but that's that is what game theory is. And some of the sharper players that may not express it that way are express it that way are really they're they're still doing the same thing. You're not gonna, mm-hmm. you're likely not gonna win uh these these tournaments. Sometimes sometimes, sometimes they do it by accident, right? <laughs> right? Sometimes it's it's one guy is one guy tech one guy projects around the industry or in most models as X. Another player at the same price. I'm just giving a very basic mm. example because it's not never yeah. never be that simple. Same same position, same price. The other guy projects for like two points less. So one guy's going to be forty percent owned. The other guy's going to be ten percent owned. Well, maybe this into maybe the person's like I think the other guy is actually better. <laughs> I mean, like just just hands down has a bias. It's a narrative. It's a revenge game. Who the hell knows why? They think, even though you go, you look at any model you possibly can make and player A projects two points higher than player B, well, this person thinks player B should project five points higher than player A. And he's wrong. But by playing him in the lineup at that close, you're actually, you're actually, you're actually making a better, you're actually making a better lineup that has a better chance of winning first place. And then a lot of times you'll see in content, well, I called it. Like everything comes down to these player picks. And it's like, really, you won because of game theory not because you predicted one guy like it was worth it to play that guy. You just happened to think that he was going to score more points and it happened to happen. But from a probabilistic standpoint, it made more sense to play that guy, regardless if you thought he was going to score more points or not, because in comparison to the other guy's ownership, it gives you more of a chance to win by playing the lower owned guy. So like you see here that there's, there really is only one way. There's only one way to play optimally. You know, it's expected value is expected value. We could run these slates out a million times and see, you know, the lineup that won the Millie Maker in NFL on average loses 40%, right? You run it, you run this, you run the simulation a uh, hundred thousand times and this lineup is a huge loser. Yeah. But the one thing that one time it wins a million dollars. So like, is that a good lineup? No, you, you, you're not, you're going to lose money in the long run playing that way. So like, there's plenty of people that win that are bad play. I mean, like, like that, I mean, to me, that's the biggest challenge in DFS is determining whether or not uh, that you're playing well or running bad because the sample sizes are just so small 
And it's quite possible to lose for two years straight being the greatest player in the world. And it's also possible to win two, win, win $5 million in two years and actually be, from a mathematical standpoint, an unprofitable player that if you played for 20 years, you're going to give back all that money and then some. So like, like to me, to me, that's the biggest challenge. And that's the main reason why from a bankroll perspective, I'm one of the more conservative players when it comes to using their bankroll, because it's, it's more, it's maybe it's an imposter syndrome type of thing. Like I, I believe I'm profitable, but like, how do I determine what my optimal allocation of funds is to a slate? Like the Kelly criterion, Mm. what's my edge? I, I mean, I've been playing for six years. I don't think that's enough of a sample size even. <laughs> so how am I supposed to say I have a 4% ROI in this and an 8% ROI in this. So I should be playing X percent of my bank. I, who knows? Maybe you're, I'm, you're, maybe I'm a bad player. I don't know. Maybe I'm unprofitable. I you're, a vic- you're a victim of your knowledge though there, because like most people would be like, you know, I've made this money, you know, and you know, anybody who's seen your content knows how much money you've made because you show everybody your roto tracker and stuff, you know, the most transparent guy in the industry I introduced you as. I show but my like, tax documents. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I get much more transparent than that. And, um, and, um, but you know, it's only because you understand these concepts of the statistics and the code criterion and things like that, that you even doubt yourself. Lots of players who are profitable don't necessarily understand that. So they wouldn't be doubting themselves. Well, a lot of t- a lot of times those profitable players turn into unprofitable ones. Yeah, well, yeah. yeah. I mean, or, or or what happens is that there are profitable players that are would be lifetime profitable if they just they, they played their bankroll too aggressively. Like variance is variance, and shit happens. And you know, we see there 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 are many players that that you know I remember seeing five years ago that you don't see in contests anymore. Yeah. And and it's not they're bad players. It just like when, when you're playing that high that often, like you're going to run into a downswing and your bankroll is going to be gone. I mean, the same thing happens in poker. So like, like I'm very aware of it and my goals align with that of like, you know, I, I, you've heard my, my stuff. Can I make 50 to $75,000 a year on average playing DFS? Like that's to me, that's a living. I don't need to make a million dollars. Yeah, sure. I'd love to. But how, how much risk am I willing to take on to capture that upside? Am I willing to increase the likelihood of me going broke in order to do it? Me, I lean towards the other end. I lean towards, I'm perfectly fine. I'm 42 years old without a real, without a quote, real job, right? I'm investing money in the stock market for my retirement and everything or whatever. So I make sure I have money later. And, you know, I don't have that much expenses. I don't spend money on fancy things, really. I'm a very simple person. I enjoy myself. This is what I enjoy. This is what I enjoy. So like, so in order to maximize my probability of making $50,000 in a year playing DFS, like how much percent of my bankroll should I be risking in order to do that? I, I'm sacrificing expected value. I'm sacrificing EV. Yes, I'm sacrificing ROI. I could, I, I probably have left tons of money on the table. I sh- probably should be playing more entries. I probably should be playing, you know, the, the high stake stuff. And I probably would be profitable, but am I, am I, am I willing to take on that risk? I see, I've seen, I've talked to other higher stakes, sharper players. And it's not like I don't play high, like my volume is for most people. Yes. Like I, like, like I, when people, when people are like, you know, low st- I was playing $40 a slate when low stakes on, on an NFL slate, like I'm playing like 10 to $12,000 on a Sunday. So like, that's, I'm not like, like, oh, you're still just playing chump change. It's like, no, no. Like on, <laughs> on an MLB slate, I'm still playing two to $3,000 of volume. 
but there are plenty of people that play 10 times that. And the people that play 10 times that I've seen, I've seen their rotor trackers. I've, I've talked to them to, to lose playing well, to lose a quarter of a million dollars in a month happens. And not only is it a possibility that if it hasn't happened, then you're, then it, no one, no one I've talked to has it not happened to, right? Like, like Crazy. I've seen, I've seen downswings of of nearly a million dollars of people that play well. Now, by the end of it, by the end of the year, by two years later, they're up $3.5 million. But I mean, there's still a million dollar downswing. Mm-hmm. Or if there's a, a $300,000 downswing by, you know, a year later, they're actually profitable by 200,000 at the other end. But like, what is your bankroll to survive those types of swings? Me, my biggest swings, my biggest downswing was 30,000, right? At, at once down 30,000. But by the end of it, that was last year. Last year, in the beginning of the year before COVID, I had about a, about a thirty thousand from the end of NFL season to the begin to the part of the NBA season, and then obviously everything shut down, right? So like I had a three month period of like just like I, okay, and then once everything started coming back, I started gain, 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 and then week six of NFL, I win the slant for fifty thousand dollars. There you go, then downswing done. Right. It's all, now I'm pro now, now I'm, now I'm on the top over there and then slowly going down, down, down. But I, I just hope that the downswing is not as far down. It's going to be down. You're going to be bleeding money until you bink again, that type of thing. But like, I'd rather my downswings be 30,000 and my upswings be 30,000. than it'd be 200,000, 200,000 yeah. in both directions for, for my sanity. And also for, for my goal, like, can I can I make fifty thousand dollars a year playing? I, I don't see why. I mean, I think to most people, like if they could, I mean, remember, ninety percent of people that play DFS are lifetime losers, right? Or more, ninety three percent. If you could make fifty thousand dollars a year doing this, I mean, that, to me, that's the dream. Like, I mean, come on, like what? What? <laughs> oh, have you ever won the Millie Maker? People ask me that. Have you ever won the Millie? Uh, it's like, dude, I barely ever play the Millie Maker. I play when I got tickets or something. So, well, why don't you? Because it's a million to first, a hundred thousand to second, and tenth place is a set of steak knives. It's like, like it's a negative EV contest unless you win, but you have to beat two hundred thousand entries to do it. So, how much of my bankroll am I willing to put into that type of contest? Probably not much. Hmm. I'll play. I'll I'll play the nine dollar slant, which has a nice flatter payout structure, has a two x min cash, and I'm able to retain more of my equity more often. Yes, I don't have a chance of winning a million dollars. Oh, oh, there are worse things in the world, right? This, this is this is my this, this is this is the reality of DFS. It depends on what you're playing for. If you're playing ten bucks, twenty bucks, a hundred bucks, looking for life changing money, great, go for it. Just understand that this is just disposable. That don't use money that you can't afford to lose. Me, I'm looking. This is I'm I'm. If you've seen Rounders, I'm Joey Kanish. It's like I'm 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 looking I'm looking to. How do I, at the end of the year, have $50,000 and then look at what I've done the entire year and go, wow, I really didn't have to risk much in order to do that. I didn't have to put in as much work as I needed to do that. Like, who doesn't want that? To me, that to me, that's the dream. To me, I don't need a mil. I don't need bil- millions upon millions of dollars. So, so I don't know. Am I, am I rational? Am I kind of like self-rationalizing like, like pe- people's objection? Only because I think a lot of the DFS industry content that you'll see in, in there is about, you know, big scores and screenshots and, 
And here we got the picks for the million bucks type of thing. And really, I I I I just don't approach DFS that way. I approach DFS from uh from will I I play risky lineups? Sure, but I mean I I still play less than one percent of my bankroll slate. So it's like you could you could you could still play DFS well, aim for first place in these contests without like breaking the bank in order to do so. But you also have to be willing to be patient. And that's I'm I'm at the six year mark of me playing DFS. So if you're if you're sitting there with a thousand dollars in your in your DraftKings account or whatever in your bankroll in your hypothetical bankroll, and you're like, well, I've been playing the quarter arcade and the mini max and and one dollar contests. Like, how do I start making the real money? It's like, well, you have to turn your thousand dollars into ten thousand, and that may take you a year to do if you're if you're patient and you play well. I'm not, but what I teach and what I know is nothing special. I didn't make it up. I didn't invent it. I'm just, I'm just, I just communicate it, right? Just like Neil deGrasse Tyson. He didn't invent astrophysics. He's just a communicator. So you just have to be patient enough. I know plenty of people that I talked to and I taught two or three years ago that now are, have a bankroll very similar to me. It's like, like it's the, you you have to start somewhere. You can't just go from $400 to $400,000 in the course of a year without getting extremely lucky, right? Hitting the, you know, you know, hitting the Millie maker. Okay, sure. Yes. But that, that shouldn't be your goal. That's unrealistic. Your goal is to grind money from 400 and it's going to look like a hockey stick. So you can, it's going to be exponential growth because these are, this is all compounding returns as you play better. Right, you have a five percent, ten percent ROI, and you're just churning that out day after day, and it's going up, up, up. And now that percentage is going to be a bigger part because now ten percent of four hundred is forty bucks, but ten percent of forty thousand, four thousand dollars. So now when you move up, you start moving up even faster. But you just need to have the patience in order to know if you start playing well now, mate, you're ju- you're just four years behind me, right? That's that. We could all, you could get there. It's not a zero, it's not necessarily a zero sum game like that. So if you're, if you're playing, if you're playing the low stakes contest now and you have the patience to play well and build up your bankroll, you could do the same thing. That's exact. I'm, I didn't just wake up with money. I started, I, I never put in more than 400 bucks into, into anything. And my, and I, I have a lifetime profit of over $400,000 over the course mm-hmm. of nearly a six year period, right? Which comes out to what? About a, that's 65,000 plus average a year. Why isn't that the dream? Is that not the dream, Mark? Well, it keep me very happy. I can assure you. Um, the, um, there's a couple of things come from that that, may, that you made me think of there. Um, one thing I talked to you about was when it clicked for me. But what I've noticed is since I play the way now with the game three star way, I have bigger downturns than I ever did before, but I have bigger upturns as well, obviously upticks as well. Um, and... Um, and because yeah. you're not playing to win money. You're, 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 you're not playing. No, not, I, I, that's actually the worst way to phrase it. You're playing to win money, not playing to cash. Yes. Like you're not playing to win. Like for instance, in a GPP, if it plays out the top, you know, 25%, like a lot of people have the psychological need of like, well, I cashed this lineup and I cashed that lineup. And, you know, I put in 10 bucks and I got back 12. I put in 10 bucks and I got back 16 more often but you never turn $10 into 10,000. Right. But in order to do that, you have to put in 10 and get back zero. Yeah. So like people don't realize I show, I show them some of, some of my season. Like I, I remember showing uh, my MLB season from 2019. 
uh, I the number of slates, I think I played 170 slates, I believe that season. And I would ask people, people that don't under that don't understand this, uh, in GPP, and I say, how many slates did I lose money on? Right, just how many slates mm. out of 107? What percentage? And most of the time, they guess like sometimes they'll get 50, 60 percent. Oh, you lose money on half your slates, right? Some people go 70 percent. I go 94 percent. 94 percent of the time, I put an X, exact <laughs> X amount of money, and I got back less than that. Did it mean I lose all of it? No. If you put in 600, you get back 555. That's still losing. Right. And then, then they go, well, how, how did you, you lost 94% of the time? How much money did you lose? I said, I made like almost $40,000 less. They go, how the hell does that happen? It's like, well, I won two GPPs and I came in top five and like three others. It's like that all, all the money in these contests are in those spots. So as long as you're able to hit those spots and build lineups that are geared to hit those spots, you do that two or three times a season, you're wildly profitable. Even if you lose all the other slates. It's getting through. So we talked about that with Will as well. It's like the you need if you're going to do this. Um, you know, I don't know. There's there's lots of people in this level, like between casual and professional, like you. I don't know whether you call them casually serious or seriously casual, something like that. And um, there's lots of people in there, and and they need and it's quite hard to be that person if you don't understand the downswings and, the, and you don't manage your bankroll properly. Um, I myself last so using just carrying on this sort of this story here. Everything clicked for me last year, week eight. Week 10, I came sixth out of 178,000 people in the dime time, okay? Because I'd had a bad year and I was just putting stuff in the dime time at that point. And um, so that turned 10 cents into $100, which doesn't seem like much to come sixth out of 178,000, but, you know. Yeah, but still, what are you doing? You're, you're 10, yeah. you're, uh, it's a thousand you're a thousand times, Xing, yeah. you're yeah. A th right? You're a thousand yeah. Xing your dime, right? And then... It only took me three more weeks to lose that money because my bankroll management was so bad. Right, because well, net, net, you didn't play the dime time the next week. You played the dollar. No. Yeah, right. Just, well, there you yeah, go. Right there, yeah. there. You, you see, go. you see, you see. Classic, just classic mistakes I made, and like, and now I'm here to preach to everybody else not to do this. Um, so, um, and um, yeah, so that that was um, so with all the stuff you stuff you were just saying there, you just make just kind of like everything. Everything links. It's all it's all connected here. It's like it's no. It was no good. Everything clicking for me in week eight last year because my bank management was too bad. It was too poor. Right. And no so, matter how good you are, you were destined to go broke regardless. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And I wish I obviously I needed. I should have learned that in 2017 when I first. I didn't get lucky enough to lose it in 2017. That's why I didn't learn it then. Like you'd learned it in your first year, you know, because I hadn't got the game to side of it. Um, yeah. So. Um, I think that's, um, but you, you brought up another couple of things on this, which, which lead me on to another point. And I've had different answers from a couple of people I've spoken to about this so far. Do you think you need to know a sport to be good at DFS? No. I knew, fact, I knew, probably, I knew you were going to say that. Like. Right. It's probably, it's, it's, it, 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 a lot of times it's actually worse. It's because actually of the, a lot of, a lot of times <laughs> knowing it actually, it, 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 it adds bias. Mm. I started playing NBA, Mark. I played. I started playing NBA DFS because I they DK used to do these these monthly VIP free rolls, right? Depending on what your status, what you know, I'm 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 typically diamond, uh, whatever's under black, right? They they, mm. they should have one in between because it's like twenty five thousand to one hundred twenty five thousand. I'm always somewhere in the middle, uh, and they just pick a sport, and like 
what am I going to do? Like it's free EV, it's free money, right? But it's a GPP. So like, so they would start, that's how I got into golf. Cause they used to just, most of them were golf. So I'm like, okay, I got to know who the hell these people are and at least put together a competitive lineup or some, something where I'm looking at Roto-Grinders content, go give me, give me something. But I also know the game theory. So it's like, I don't want to just play the four, six highest owned guys, right? The, the best plays. So like, I know, I know what I'm doing. Especially in golf, because uh, it's so variant, so much variance as well. Right, right. I'm still aiming for first. It's still a progressive payout. Mm. I mean, I'm not just looking to min cash. I have a free shot at $10,000 or something. So let me, let me go aim for it. So and they did one for NBA. I don't know. I, I, I have not followed the NBA in, in 15 years or whatever. I have no idea. So, okay, I'm going to put together a lineup. I go on Roto Grinders. I, I read some stuff. I barely even know NBA, like even DFS strategy of like just the nuances of like lineup construction or anything. And I just, but I just do know projections versus ownership. Like that's all I, that's all I know that, that, that is guaranteed to be something. So I put together a lineup. Uh, I, I, I don't, I don't know these people. I don't, I, I, I don't know who these people are. I had, I had Jimmy Butler. I, 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 one of the soccer people also plays NBA. I like DM'd them the lineup. Uh, it was, it was uh, Alex. It's uh, Fear My Turtle. He's okay. in the soccer lobby. Yeah. Uh, and I said, am I, does, I'm playing the free roll. He knows I'm playing GPP. So I like, I'm, I'm not saying, are these players good? It's just, is this lineup? It, I'm looking for first place equity. It's like, is it, just, here's the lineup. Tell me if I'm stupid. Cause I like, are guys injured? I don't even know that. Like, I just like, is this stupid? Like, and, and he looks at me and he says, uh, like Jimmy Butler's more of a cash play. He's going to be owned. Uh, probably, I probably wouldn't play him. So I'm like, okay. So I just went and I said, I'll play Brad. I'll play this guy, Bradley Beal instead. Right. He was a little bit, I don't know who these people are. He plays for the wizards. I don't know. He projected similarly to Butler, maybe a little bit lower and he was going to be lower owned. Okay. And I had Willie Cauley Stein in my, my center spot. And apparently back then the Kings ran rotations, like there was no one knew what was going on and they play the 1030 game. So the Kings always go under owned, right? Once I started playing NBA and I found out about that. So I played Willie Cauley Stein. He projected decently for his price. He was a cheap, cheaper center. It seemed like he was going to get minutes and whatever. Why not? Okay. He ended up being 6% owned in that contest. The lineup did really well. And at 1030 night, I'm like, wow, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm sitting there in like, like sixth place. And I'm like one of the only two guys that have any PMR left. So I'm like, okay, let me turn on the Sacramento Kings game because I have this Willie Coley Stein dude. And I expected Mark to see a tall white Jewish guy. That's what I expect. Willie Coley Stein. He sounds like a, uh, he's one of those doofy white center. I expected to see a seven foot two doofy white center that I was used to seeing in the, in the eighties and nineties when I actually followed basketball. And I look and it's like this tattooed black guy. And I'm like, that's Willie Cauley Stein with a headband or whatever. Okay. Okay. okay, Sure. He puts up a decent game. I come in second place for $7,500. I knew nothing about basketball. I barely knew anything about lineup construction for NBA. The details other than projection versus other than game theory, projection versus ownership, whatever. The nuances of correlation really, there's not strong correlation in NBA DFS, but from there, Obviously, that's like okay. Now I like NBA DFS, so that's what got me into. Yeah. Now I'm gonna play tomorrow, right? It's like okay, mm-hmm. like doesn't mean I thought I solved it. It's just that oh, like the con. I it re it it confirmed to me 
that the concepts that I was using in MLB, in NFL, I just pretty much, I just looked at rankings and projections and ownership and just picks a bunch of players, right? And second in a, second in a GPP. So, and then, you know, after that, what, like six months later, that was my first $100,000 score in NBA. And then four months after that, 50,000 in NBA. Like NBA, I have the most amount of money. And it's the kind, it's the, it's the sport I watched the least. This is this past season in NBA. I don't, I'm, I don't even remember watching a game. Like, obviously, I'll, once in a while, I'll turn on the playoffs. Like, that's going, like, at the end of the game or something. Or if I have a big sweat. Like, if it's in the late game, it's like, oh, I need Marcus Morris rebounds or something. Okay, I'll put that on at the end. But I'm not watching the games, right? NFL, I'm watching Red Zone. Yeah, the Red Zone. But people mm-hmm. after NFL, on Monday, I'm watching the All-22s. I'm watching them. Why? All the things that would be relevant are already in the projection model. So what what, what is watching the games... What does that do? The only sport, which is weird for me to say, since I've, I've just gone on a rant that you don't need to watch the sport, soccer. Soccer, only because I'm not sure how, how accurate projections could be with the sample sizes. Maybe maybe in the, cl- in the club games, Premier League, especially certain teams that don't have midweek games, right? You know, the, the teams like West Brom and, and, and uh, Wolves and... Like like teams that kind of run out the same eleven, Burnley, like you get a, you could get a baseline on that. But teams that rotate all the time, Man City, there's eight hundred Man City lineups. Like how like different formations, different team. Like it to me in soccer DFS, it makes more sense to know how to look at a team and go how they how they plan to attack. Because we'll we'll see if, if you were if you were if you were new to soccer. Uh, you wouldn't know the difference between Man City's fullbacks and Sheffield United's fullbacks mm. and be like, well, the way that Pep plays, because you would assume, like, if you're going to play Burnley fullbacks, you're going to see crosses because that's how Burnley plays. You, 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 go, you go to Man City fullbacks and you go, why is Kyle Walker doing nothing, right? He's a, he's a fullback. He's 4,200 for the biggest favor on the slate. You're expecting points in DFS. And you go, nope, he's, he's like a defensive midfielder practically, right? Mm-hmm. They tuck in. And then Sheffield United have this formation where they like flip, where the center backs start coming forward and then everything fl- like, but you wouldn't know that unless you watch the games. Leeds sometimes has this like box formation. So you have like Stuart Dallas that's like, is he a defender? Is he a midfielder? Is he going to play as a center back? So they'll run this like 3-3-3-3 type of thing. Uh, and it depends on who's in the lineup. So sometimes you'll look, obviously, for set pieces. You'll have to know that. This guy's not in. Who's going to take set pieces there? Stuff like that. But I just, in general, like for the Euros, I mean, what's the sample size on some of these these national teams? Mm-hmm. Like like England? Like how are you going to know how many England lineups are? You look, look at the last lineup they put out. I couldn't believe they won with seven <laughs> defenders on the pitch. Nobody right? here, you're, could. You're Nobody looking, here could either. Nobody here. Looking, it. Sterling is just Hello. bailing them out, bailing Southgate out like Hello. every goddamn game. Oh, I looked at that lineup against. Uh, I'm like, you're kidding me? You're telling me <laughs> that Mount Grealish and Sancho and Foden are on the bench? <laughs> like, like, and and Calvert, Dalvin, um, Calvert Lewin didn't even make the bench. Right, and Cal- right, Cal- yeah, he didn't it was even an option. It right, like- wasn't even an option. And then you and you watch, but you watch the beginning of the game. You see, there's almost no link play. Between mm. the midfield, the, the forwards are all all isolated, mm. right? 
I mean, until the end, until they finally, until Grealish came on the pitch, right? They didn't, they weren't even playing that well. But I mean, it's it's Gareth Southgate. What do you expect? You 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 you, you get these England managers that they because no one wants because no one no one good wants to ever manage England. Right. So you always get these English and these UK retreads that all they know is is how to avoid relegation. Well, you right? know why? So you, <laughs> you know why? Right? How, what is Allardyce going to do dynamically? <laughs> Yeah, for, but, for the English national team or Hodgson or, or any of these guys. These are guys that keep teams up. They play for one nothing games. You actually have a good team. You should be playing for 3 nothing games. Best team in years. The reason though, the reason for that is because we had years and years and years where we took where we had foreign managers for England and they were the best in the world. You know, like Sven Goran Eriksson. Eriksson is not the best in the world. Fabio Capello was, though. Fabio Capello was at the time and stuff. Mm. And um, and we, we we kind of and uh, well he'd won a lot anyway. Let's let's do Capello. Right. And, okay. um, yeah, yeah. And um and it was just a disaster. Everybody hated it and stuff and uh, all this national nationalism. Well, because the teams weren't very good. No, but now we've got the best crop of youngsters we've ever had. Well not ever, but for a long, long time, since probably Owen and um Owen and Skulls and stuff and Beckham. And how um, does Sancho not see any minutes? <laughs> I don't is 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 that is that is that is that a a, a league bias? Because he plays because so. he plays in Germany. I mean now mm. well now he's going to play in now it's going to be different. Yeah. Now he's going to be on Man United. Yeah, and um and it seems like the Germans take a lot of our best young players before we realise, don't they? They've got Jude Bellingham as well and stuff. And like anyway, um yeah so yeah that's um the <laughs> it's so but, funny. But when to get team... back to the point, I think I think there's a benefit in watching the sport mm. for soccer because because the team. It's it's a it's a team game that the formations and styles of it, of play could vary dramatically from game to game that you don't see in other in other sports. No. Basketball, what are they? Yeah, they may change from ISO ball to some type of system. I, I mean, I don't even know what I'm talking about here. I'm just making up words. This what is what I what people say. They they, they know how they draw plays <laughs> yeah. or whatever. But like baseball, it's like what they just hit up. They're getting what. I'm gonna get up and try to hit the ball as far as I can. Like there's no there's no there's no difference in team play. NFL, like even then, like people try to predict, oh, they're gonna run the ball more here, they're gonna to try to exploit there. Like you're you're 50-50 at best trying to guess that. Mm-hmm. But in soccer, you could I mean, there's a bigger there's a big difference in in playing a three backs, like because just from DFS purposes of who's gonna be more forward, who's gonna be more wide could vary from game to game. We, we, it's like you have Hakan like for Turkey or something like that. Him playing centrally, him playing wide are completely different for DFS purposes, right? At the center, but like Ricardo Rodriguez playing as a center back is different than him playing as a wing. Back. Like when in a wing back mm-hmm. system, we see like Chelsea sometimes you like, oh, I'm going to play as uh, we have a new, uh, you know, newer soccer DFS players that look at a sofa score formation, mm-hmm. right? That may not be correct. And go. Oh, I'm going to play Cesar Aspilicueta, right? He's going to be playing wing back for for Chelsea. I go. No, no. He's going to be playing. He's going to be playing one of the center backs. I go. No, but on Sofa Score, it shows. Uh, it, it. I don't care what Sofa Score says. But, I, I, but then, then he'll go and score though. Then he goes yeah, and yeah, scores. Go and, like, yeah, yeah, he'll, he'll score. score. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Gets lucky anyway. Yeah, exactly. That's what. Yeah. So then it's worth nothing. Um, <laughs> talking about that, though, as we're talking about specific supports, and as we are, are primarily an NFL pod. I'd be remiss if we didn't talk a little bit of NFL strategy. I know it's not season yet, so you wouldn't even, but but the strategy will still be the same. It's about correlation and stuff. And I've, and you've spoken about this before. Um, everybody understands about stacking in DFS. 
and they do an NFL. Not everyone. Well, you're, you're overestimating. Okay. Most people don't. The field doesn't. Yeah, lots of people. Well, say, can I say lots of people understand about stacking, but they don't necessarily understand about stacking both sides of a game in NFL. And that's something I've been trying to harp on about since week eight last year. Can, let's just talk about that for a little bit. Um, it's it's probably a great for anybody listening to this for the, the coming season. I think it's a it's an edge you're going to have because I still don't think. Yeah, yeah. In large field contests, that people don't stack enough. They know to stack the quarterback and a receiver. Okay, I think everyone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, knows that. Obviously, there are certain cases where you don't need to, like the Lamar Jacksons, you know, the rushing quarterbacks that you could play them naked. Mm-hmm. But that's a whole different thing. What people don't do enough is is the runbacks. Is you have to understand what speeds up games. NFL has a time period, sixty minutes long, but the number of plays depends on how efficient the teams are. So the more efficient the team is the more yardage there's going to be in the game, right? So if they're, if every, if both teams are going to throw 20 yard, 30 yard passes down the field, like even if half of them are incomplete, this game is going to be sped up. There's going to be a lot more stoppages of the clock, right? Less rushing, right? Which means it gives more play volume to the opponent as well, right? So if you're not getting three and outs, each, you know, stalling each, up, up and down the field, like you're more likely to get more plays and more plays equals more opportunities. And the more big plays equals more points. Because when a, when a team scores an 80-yard touchdown, you know what the benefit is? The other team gets the ball back right away, right? So like, mm-hmm. like just thinking in those terms, for one team to put up 35 points in a game and score five touchdowns, like you want you want the game to be 35 to 28, and they're scoring back and forth on big plays to get a lot, a lot of, there's a lot going to be a lot more points available in that game. Now, a team that runs the ball 70% of the time and runs out the clock, they may, the other side of the game isn't as appealing because the game isn't being sped up. The, the, the amount of plays in the game go down. So if, if you're going to, if you're going to, when you're playing GPPs, you're playing for the 90th plus percentile outcomes. So you're not looking, this is the whole play, whoever you want, the, the, you're playing for the win condition. So when people are like, they see the Titans or something like that, like last year, they go, well, how do I, they're going to run the ball with Derrick Henry 40 times. How do I play the passing attack? Well, there were plenty of games where the Titans passing attack was the nuts, right? That's not the most probable outcome, but when you play Tannehill, AJ Brown and Corey Davis in your lineup, you're playing for the Titans to score 35 points through the air. So if they score 35 points through the air, unless, unless the other team is just three and outing all the time, there's going to be someone on the other side. There's going to be a receiver on the other side because the other team has to catch up. And how often are they going to try to catch up via the running game? No, they're going to be passing the ball. So the, the optimal stack type construction type for large field GPPs are three plus ones. So that would be quarterback with two pass catchers and a, and a run and a, and a uh, pass catcher from the other side of the game. And I say pass catcher, cause that could also be yeah. a pass catching running back, yeah. right? It's less frequent, but I'm not talking about a rushing, rushing running back. I'm talking about a pass catching mm-hmm. running back. So you're correlated to the quarterback. So that would be the optimal. Now, you could also add a second. You could run back two if you want. Mm. 
The problem with that in large field GPPs, you have to balance two things. This is why I say small field GPPs and large field GPPs are two different games. In large field GPPs, let's say you were to super stack. I'm going to play like you, I see lineups like this. They play four plus twos or something, right? Quarterback, three pass catchers, and two, and the running back and wide receiver from the opposite side of the game also, hoping for some 59 to 48 game out of them, because that's what you're going to need. The problem is that unless you get that like 100 point, you know, total, there was like one Chiefs Rams game from like two or three years ago that was like that. Uh, What's going to happen is that you're going to you're going to capture a lot of points, but if you're playing like the Millie Maker, if you're playing a fifty thousand plus entry contest, you're going to need to try to hit the nuts more often than not. So if you have one of the duds, it's like yeah, sure, I got uh, Tannehill, AJ Brown, uh, uh, Ferkser, and Corey Davis, and yeah, Brown has a has a thirty eight point game, and Corey Davis is sitting there with ten. Like there's going to be another wide receiver at his price that put up 22 points. That's going to be in the winning lineup with that Titan stack with less that three plus one rather than the four plus one. Right. So large field contests, you have to weigh the benefits of too much correlation versus the ability to get the nuts, the ability to get that one-off receiver from another game, right. Into your lineup that, you need in order to have that all combined to get you that first place score in a small field contest. Remember you don't need as high of a score to win. There's less entries. You're playing a 500 man contest, right? So just capturing all the points from one game, you don't need that one. That Corey Davis 12, as long as you got AJ Brown's 38 and Ferkser's touchdown and Tannehill's 42, you made you, that guy, the guy that uh, the guy that goes off for, for, 42 points in another game may only be 1.9% owned in that contest. And he may not be paired with any of those Titans anyway. So like you don't even have to worry about it anymore. Right. So in, in smaller field contests, actually be more inclined to super to, to just yeah. say, pick a game and go and even take the, take the rushing running back with the quarterback as well. Yeah. Take Tannehill, Henry Brown, and just say, I'm betting on the Titans. If they're playing, let's say they're playing the Falcons. You play Calvin Ridley on the other side. Maybe you play two receivers. Maybe like Calvin Ridley and Austin Hooper. Well, now it's going to be Kyle, Kyle Pitts. You take two receivers from the other side and you just go, I hope this is the game. And you fill out, you know, with the best plays elsewhere, the running back from whatever, you know, value running back, whatever defense. And there you go. But understand that that lineup is less likely to hit the nuts because you're taking so many pieces from one game. But you don't, you don't, you, you have to get less right in a small field GPP, but in a large field one, you may be locking yourself out of the nuts because you took too much of a game. So sometimes people go the wrong. Sometimes they're like, I'm just going to stack. I'm going to stack the chiefs, the chiefs, whatever game, the chiefs Raiders game. And they get, they got Kelsey Waller rugs. They got like mm-hmm. the, the whole lineup seems like it's that game. It's like, yeah, but the game, the game was 38 to 27 and everyone did well. It's like, yeah, but DJ shark, put up a three touchdown game and he's 12% owned. And maybe, maybe you should have played him over Watkins in this chiefs. Yeah. But Watkins got, got 13 points. Yeah. But DJ Chark got 42. So like you're dead in large field, you're dead in small field. You could win. So like that, to me, that's, Mm -hmm. that's, that's the main concept from NFL. 
you're you're building your lineups as if you're going to be right right the only the that if this team does well it gives more players to the other team so for this game to go off there's going to be a piece of the other side of the game. It works very similar to basketball. Not as much so. The correlation of both sides of the game in NBA DFS is much less than in NFL. Because in NBA, the other team always gets the ball back, right? Because it's always one possession, one possession, one possession. So the correlation really comes into the starters' minutes. If the game is close, that means both the starters play the maximum minutes. And if the game is higher scoring, that means the pace of the game is higher, which means gives them more points available. But the difference between the average points available of a game in NBA and if the pace is high and it goes close to the end is only maybe maybe a 5 to 7% difference. But in NFL, it could be up to a 30% difference, right? One team, one team puts up two, three quick scores. They're up 21-0 after the first quarter. Well, this under this team that's behind is going to have three quarters of this quarterback's going to throw the ball 54 times. So yeah, you played the team. Yes, you played the team with the 21 points, but dude, there's going to be someone's catching 50 54 attempts. Let's say uh, 27 passes go. Someone's catching them, right? And if and if your 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 team that's doing well needs to put up more points. That's because the other team, the other team is also like it's. There's a big difference between thirty-five nothing and twenty-one nothing. Thirty-five nothing. All of a sudden, now just becomes a running game, and no one cares anymore. But a three, a two or three score lead, like if the Chiefs are playing the Bears or something, like Allen Robinson is a good. You should be playing him because if the Bears put up, come back and within one score, now the Chiefs have to put up more points. So you get both sides of the game. So yes, that that. People st- team people stack, but if you if you download the CSVs even from last year, it's getting slightly better, but nowhere in, in these large field GPPs, nowhere near the amount of times that like I I see so many lineups that people will play three or four guys from one team and nothing from the other side, and and a lot of time to- a lot of times sometimes the leverage play is to do the is do the reverse type of stack. Well, you play as if the team that you expect to win is actually losing, hmm. right? So you, so in, in the example of, let's say it's Vikings versus the Bears or something, like most people will play the Vikings. They'll go, I'm playing Cousins, Thielen, Jefferson, and um, Allen Robinson, right? They do that way, that three plus one. It's like, well, what happens if the, maybe the Bears come out to a lead, right? So why don't you just play Trubisky and Robinson and Mooney and use uh, Jefferson as the run. Like, that's going to be much lower owned. Same outcome. You're just now assuming that the Bears come to a lead and the Vikings have to come back. But yeah. with the that, with the parity that there is in the NFL, you can't just assume, you can't, oh, well, the Vikings are an eight and a half point favorite. So who cares? You're not, look, you're not looking for the most probable outcome. You're looking for the outcome that gives you a higher chance of winning first place. What I like about the three plus one as well, and talk about it's, it gives you you can still then do another three plus one if you want to, or you well, can two, do well two plus well you wouldn't you or, wouldn't play two quarterbacks no 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 Are no you, but is two, that how you won sorry. the mini max they allowed you to play two quarterbacks no, yeah <laughs> <laughs> that was that was a Dallas Minnesota stack um, which nobody had owned which seems mental when I mean, you think about it but that's because of it's another way you can see you can also see um, opportunities leverage whatever you want to do is um, is the fact that people. Because the way content is, it was, content always talks about absolutes in NFL, which I know 
you know, annoys you. Well, as there well. aren't any, right? No, of course there aren't and stuff. You know, like last year, there was this thing about the Buffalo Bills and slot receivers or something like that. They couldn't defend against slot receivers. But if, if, if somebody on a fantasy DFS podcast is saying that, then the Buffalo Bills defensive coordinator probably has an idea as well. And he might change some things or the offense of that other team might think, well, I'll put my best player in the slot rather than just be leave, you know, random, you know, wide receiver three and stuff. Anyway, so there's no absolute. In, in general, in general, Mark, just like I, unless you're, unless you're actually at the close practices, you have, no one has a clue. It's all guessing. And in small sample sizes, anything, oh, they're bad against slot receivers. And what, and show me, show me that, show me a 300 game sample size. They go, well, there is no 300 games. Well, then, then. What are you showing me? You're showing me nothing. And also, in general, uh, teams are going to try to get their best players the ball. Yeah. So it's like it's like these wide receiver cornerback matchups. Oh, you can't go again. They'll find a way to screw. They'll find. I mean, did, the, you the don't know. Over the cornerback could fall over on a play. Right. And that's 15 points, or whatever. You know. Right, but the thing is, is that if it was, it's it's very similar to baseball, MLB. That we we have a thing called BVP, batter versus pitcher where people will look at the past, like this batter has had 17 at-bats versus this pitcher over his career, and he's eight for 17 with three home runs. He is good. Oh, he loves, he likes what this pitch, he's good against this pitcher. It's like it's 17 at-bats. And also this sample size is over a six-year period, right? So like the at-bat that the pitchers from six years, I mean, they're different people now. Right, different skill sets, different pitch types, but different everything. But people want to look for this data that confirms something. Like it, it doesn't mean anything. Now, can batters like certain pitchers and do well against certain pitchers? Yes, it's an actual thing. BVP is a thing, but no one has a sample size enough to know when it's real and when it's not. So maybe the guy that is eight for seventeen with three home runs just got lucky on those three home runs, and he's actually pretty poor. Against that, there may be a guy that has had 34 at bats against the pitcher is three for 34 with nothing. That actually is really good. As if we gave him 200 at bats, he would really he, he actually prefers those pitches. Now, that now, like you would never know. You just see what you see now, but you would never know when it's real or not. So the concept of batter versus pitcher would be sound if if we could measure when it's real and when it's not. Then you would you put it into your model, but. There's no, it's such a sampling bias that that it's all noise. So the same thing exists with all of these these NFL grades and matchups and metrics and play calling and all. Like unless you're at the close practice, unless you're in the film room of the actual team, knowing what the coach's actual game plan is, all you're doing is guessing. And most of the time, it's gonna be it's gonna be a coin flip. So this is this is the this is a this is the this is a core game theory concept, which I which I talk about all the time. This is this is the definition of play whoever you want, of of that concept. The closer the decision you have comes to a coin flip, the the less that you should even care about it, because if 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 half the time they do this and half the time they do that. Like when, when, when is it? Well, how about this specific time? Well, I'm telling you it's a 50, 50 shot. So it doesn't matter which side a lot of, I, I, I tweeted a while ago, so much of the DFS space uh, is this. I'll offer you uh, a two to one uh, bet on a coin flip, right? And uh, 95% of the DFS industry, a fantasy industry 
will spend their time trying to figure out if it's going to come up heads or tails. <laughs> Instead of just pick whichever one you want because it's profitable no matter what you pick, right? It's a two to one bet on a 50, on a, it's a 66% bet on a 50% shot. So I view a lot of these, these, these intangibles, these watching the games, things, these, that, that it's, it's guessing. And if, if you were to back test it, if let's say back test your takes of like what I thought the team was, we do this all the time. I called it on the last uh, theory of DFS podcast, the mass delusion complex. People spend all their time the entire week looking through all these stats, looking at pro P PFF, looking at all these things, looking at schemes, looking at target shares, looking at all that stuff. Sunday comes right. And half the stuff, half the stuff that you could have predicted. Like it's just completely the opposite. Just like it, just like it's just bizarro world for half the, half the stuff is right. Half the stuff was wrong. Right. You couldn't tell which half was going to be right and which half was going to be wrong. And then Monday comes around and people do the same damn thing again. And I go, I got to look through all this stuff. Like, dude, half of it's going to be right and half is going to be wrong. And you're not going to know which half it is. Very similar to advertising, right? It's an old advertising uh, mantra, right? Only half of advertising is effective, but no one knows which half. So you have to spend it all. You have to you yeah. just have to spend it all. So that's what I mean by, I like, when people, what stats do you look at? None. No stats. Like anything that that's relevant is going to be in a in a, in a uh, projection model. So like whatever those they're already in there. It's already in. There. It's already. In, I see the number. I see the I see the end result. I don't need to look at any. All I'm going to be doing is counting it twice. It's all redundant, right? Oh, do you look at the totals? Well, it's in the it's it's in the projections. Do you do you look do you look at the the, the rushing efficiency? It's in the projection. Do you look at the offensive? It's in the. It, do you, how about the it, everything you mentioned is in the projection already? So like like I'm just going to be looking to double count it. So once, and then anything else that's, that's available, like you're going to be wrong half the time. So like, why am I bothering? Like why that to me, that's what I'm exploiting. I love hearing the shows throughout the week in NFL where it's like, uh, you can't, you can't go, uh, whatever the wide receiver cornerback matchup of the week is right. You can't go tread Tredavious white on the bills. Oh, you can't attack DK Metcalf. You can't play him. He's going to be a dead to be shadow covered or some, some BS like that. You know what I love? I love hearing that because that means that his ownership goes down and I play him anyway because he's projected well. I mean, like, like all you're doing is helping me. Like, I'm just listening to content and reading stuff. Just here, where's all the biases? Where's all the stuff that's a coin flip? Like, or, or at, worst, at best, 51.49. Oh my God, you got a 51.49 advantage, right? But getting that 1% edge, possibly, you're missing the 90% edge of the everything else. So it's like, like, why are you wasting all your time? People ask me, how, how much time do you spend? Oh, you do this full time? I wish I could do it full time. I have a nine to five job. Like, dude, I'd show up to baseball slates at 615 without even knowing who's playing. And by seven o'clock, I have all my lineups in and I'm playing 150 lineups on multiple sites. Like, what do I need to know? I have a projection model. I have game theory, put it together. Half the time someone hits a home run. I don't even know if I have them in my goddamn lineups. Right? I mean, like, that's like it's just whatever it came out to be. Same for NFL. I spend... Like, well, what do you do on Monday? Nothing. Tuesday, not, I'm like, I'm not doing any, I don't make my lineups until Saturday night. I want as much information as possible in the model because we have injuries and whatever and all that type of thing. So people are asking me, what do you think of the Packers on Wednesday morning? Like, I'm, dude, I barely know what the salaries are. What I mean, sometimes I got to look at stuff because I do a Thursday show for advanced sports analytics. So we got to talk about it. But other than that, like, I'm not even, I'm not even, I'm not even thinking about what lineups I'm putting together until Saturday night. What are my favorite Even then, things? Sunday morning, I'm tinkering and truly <laughs> changing half of it anyway. 
one of my favourite things on the pre, you know, the pregame show you're doing rotor grinders when you got the chat in the YouTube and all that, and people answer questions for you. You know, mm-hmm. so somebody, so somebody says, so, this always happens once a week. Somebody say, how long do you spend building your lineups? And you've told everybody every single day how little time you spend doing these lineups, and you, you've even shown us you do it on the show. You know, although it takes longer when you do it on the show because you're having to talk through why you're doing right. stuff. Yeah. And, and sometimes you say, oh, this like, oh, it would take me 10 minutes, 15 minutes, because I know I just need to do this. Somebody will always answer on your behalf two hours or something like that to just like, and you don't spend two hours doing it. But, no, these, but, like, people, but even these, if you did, two hours is still, people think it's all day. People <laughs> think it's, I mean, like it's just. Oh, so two hours is a good answer then. <laughs> and, well, it's better than all day. It's better than, I mean, whatever. But I mean, I mean how much can you do like in baseball? Sometimes you don't get the starting lineups until an hour before. I mean, like something could change. Oh, the highest on thing. This thing is he's out of the line. I mean, like, so how am I supposed to make any decisions until then? Soccer, like soccer. Imagine building soccer slates before. I mean, yeah, yeah. Lineups it, don't um, come out until it's, nuts. it's nuts. Right. Well, that, nuts. Why, why do you think I don't mind doing, doing the, the content, especially for soccer, mm. like the rotowire show that mm. we do. If everything stays the way it's, it is, I mean, I pretty much tell everyone what my cash lineup's going to be. I mean, I just go through it all like that, but I'm not going to be there at, at nine in the morning, my time, guiding you through when four games, uh, starting lineups come out and some rotation happens and James Madison isn't in and this, like, I'm not, I'm not there. You, that, that's my edge. That's the edge yeah. of, that's, that's what it is. So like, it comes, on to, it comes with your life goal edge as well as spending as little time as possible. Little time, um, right? But I mean, yeah. how do you spend more time on soccer when you don't even know who's playing until an hour before kickoff? Mm. Right? Yeah. NFL, you, NF, I mean, NFL, you know who's going to play. I mean, yeah. but even then, we've had some slates where it's Saturday and we don't know if Julio Jones is going to play. Well, Ezekiel right? Elliott that. last year dropped out, didn't he? And Tony Pollard came in, and that was like an hour and a half beforehand. Right. And you know what I did that slate? Jam the hell out of Tony Pollard. <laughs> so right? I did that galaxy brain thing on that week where I assumed everybody was going to play Tony oh, Pollard. You, don't, you think people are smarter than they are. They're not. I know. I know. I know. I'm, I clearly am doing this. And so I didn't play him. So I played whoever the other guy would, was at the time. I can't remember the other cheap guy was. And obviously Pollard smashed, didn't he? 30 points. Right. The, the longer, the, the, the way to think about NFL DFS, understand that it's the softest DFS sport. It has the most casual money, okay? The shorter the time period before the slate, the more the more less people know. So we also had a situation, I remember two or three years ago, with Latavius Murray when he was uh, for the Vikings when Cook was out like an hour before lock. And I jammed the hell out of Murray. Murray was like 4% owned. And he went off at like 30 points for the Vikings because... Who else is running the ball for at that time? Uh, if it's if it's Sunday morning and news like that comes out, jam them. Not that that's not enough time. Yeah, you, you have to think in terms of content. The longer, the, the earlier that we know, the more it's the more the market is going to be efficient. This comes back to the EMH efficient market hypothesis. If someone gets injured Sunday on a Sunday game. After, and then Monday prices, they come out. Remember, because the sites didn't reflect it in time. And we know that, we know Dalvin Cook is out. Like, we know, we saw the injury. He's not going to be playing next week. Alexander Madison is going to be very old. I mean, like, we know that on Monday. Now, if, like, the injury comes out on Thursday, it's most likely going to be efficient. 
right? Because enough people are going to talk about it on Thursday afternoon and Friday morning and the Saturday, whatever the hell, people are going to know about it. Saturday afternoon, it's going to be up a little, but probably probably not as efficient as it should be because people have already made their lineups. But Sunday mornings, dude, Sunday mornings, you you jam that. Uh, Tony Pollard comes in. I, I jam that. I, I mean, I basically, I had like 80% because... There's no, there's no better spot in NFL DFS because it's and what he ended up being like what I think he only was like 18% owned like he was something he was still owned hmm. but like no like he would have been like the the 60% yeah. owned chalk had you known five days earlier than that so like how do you t- not take advantage of that market inefficiency hmm. well, a guy that should be 60% <laughs> owned is going to be 15% owned and you know that and you could. And he's in a running back spot that has the least amount of variance. Like, just jam him in. I, my 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 biggest mistake was not a hundred percenting him in all my lines. I only had eighty percent of them. So like that, that's another tip. Yeah. The late news, like, be more. And if it burns you, don't say, "Oh, I shouldn't have done it." Like, mm-hmm. more. Just look at the ownership. That's all you should be gauging your play on. Is this guy efficiently owned or not? Is he under-owned or over-owned? If you get guys that are significantly under-owned, that's all, that's all you can care about. That's You're betting two to one on a coin flip. You bet heads, and it comes up tails. Does it make the bet bad? No, the bet's great. So what, I'm, what I'm learning from this is I need to give the, the field less credit. Yes, in I'm, large field <laughs> contests, yes. you do. In NFL, yes, you do. <laughs> right? Oh, they, oh, everyone's stacking. No, they're not. Download the CSVs on DraftKings. You'll see. I mean, well, trust me download them you'll see lineups and you go how do people play this way um um so slightly less slightly less strategic question a couple of slightly less strategic questions now as we wind down um if you could make if you were the king of dfs what changes would you make uh i make the payout structures flatter uh i, th- I think the reason why they've always been high is obviously irrationality of the market more casual money look at first place prizes and not at the sustainability of their bankrolls but understand casual people don't have bankrolls they play for entertainment most people play dfs for entertainment but from an ecosystem perspective these sites have to make sure that the bad players don't go broke too quickly it's very mm-hmm. similar to poker mm-hmm. you can't make you can't make the the game so skill oriented that that the bad players go broke immediately right if they don't play well but that happens with the payout structure also they've been lucky and they they train themselves because they had such a big marketing push and they 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 generated enough new user acquisition to make up for the that churn so like they they their numbers and i and i mean i'm on the the DraftKings vip the vlp committee which is like a glorified focus group so it's like, we don't have any power. People, aren't you on the VOP? Yeah, we say that uh, most of the time they come to us and they say, what do you think of this? And we all go, we think that sucks. And then they go, okay. And then the next day they release it. So, I mean, like, it's it's not, it's, it's not, most of the time we don't like what <laughs> they you do. Get bl- and you get blamed for it. I've seen right. it. Oh, I've don't seen it happen. Have, no, yeah. we, 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 we could tell you that it sucks, right? I mean, or we get feed, a lot of times it's feedback on like user interface stuff. The, is this under, is this wording understandable? It's like, okay, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, so basically this wording says that you're going to screw people by doing this. 
It's like, yeah, but is it explained well? Like that, that's kind of, it's like, we're just like, why, why don't you just not screw people? Right. Like, no, no, we just want to make sure that it's very explanatory how we're going to screw you. Right. And that it, that we were messaging it right. Like that, that's what I mean by that committee. But, uh, uh, in the numbers, like during that time period, it wouldn't look to them as if it's, it looks like, and it's true. The data shows that they put first place, people look at the first place prize and they don't look at that, that, that payout mm. curve. And because they're not realizing that, you know, they're putting in 20 bucks and getting back eight rather than 12, mm. right? They're still losing, but they're losing slower, right? But they don't notice that over time. People don't notice those things. But over the course of a million users, that affects contests. The contests have to start coming down. Participation goes down. Uh, and you'll need new users to replenish that. Now, if you're getting those new users, then it looks like everything's fine because these contests are filling. So that's what my concern is, is that, you know, the, eventually the new user acquisition will not uh, be able to keep them above water when it comes to these contests and because everyone's being bled, right? Someone, someone's winning a million dollars and everyone else is going broke. Like that's, that's not the way that's too much, too much inequality in the market to do that from a, from a marketing perspective. Yes. You could run them for Yes. The Millie maker and NFL run those fine. I get it. That's, that's a promotional contest mm. for the majors and PGA. Fine. I get it. But on a regular daily basis in MLB, like, why are these contests so top-heavy? Like, why why are we going on FanDuel? 30,000 a first, 10,000 a second, 5,000 a third, 1,000 a fourth. That's just stupid. Just make just make it 15,000 a first, 12,000 a second, you know, 10,000 a third. You know, make, make it flatter at the top. So so you could come in the top 20. And and like that major that major week. I mean, like coming in the top 20, you could be and, and playing 20 lineups, you may you may lose money doing that like that it's just it's just not sustainable so like to me like that's that's one of the things uh the second is they should re be restricting uh experienced players more and i'm saying this as an experienced player on DraftKings, uh about once you're over a million dollars in entries total entries you're blocked out of the one to three dollar contests right so i can't i can't play the dime time with you right i can't play those contests FanDuel, it's something similar. I think they do something with net profit. A million dollars in entries. Now, it took me, it took me four years to get there, to get a million dollars in total entries. Some of these sharper players, it'll take uh, two weeks, right? I mean, like, uh, but even at the $5 level, like, I I think it should be even, I think it should be even more. I think the mm -hmm. there should be more tiers of that. And I think it should be a rolling average. And I think it should be by sport. So I think I would make it a little yeah. bit more advanced. So for instance, I, if I've never played another sport, maybe I want to, I want to test out my strategies at the quarter arcade. I, I can't though. I can't play the quarter arcade because I'm past that level on mm -hmm. DraftKings. But let's say I wanted to play League of Legends and I've never mm -hmm. played before. Well, I, I don't want to devote much of my bankroll to it. So doing it by sport will allow me. Yeah, maybe I'm banned from all the soccer contests under $25. Like I can't even play the $5 contests. Right. But in NASCAR, feel free to play the dime time because you've never played NASCAR before. Right. So there should be more tier. There should be, you know, someone like empire maker should be banned, should only be able to play $50 and up. Right. Someone like me should only be playing $10 and up. 
right? Then there's guys at $25 and up. Like there should be more levers. Awesome $100 and up type of, you know, type of content. So to even stay out of, of like, because even the $4.20 max on, on like MLB or NBA, I could play, right? I could still play that. I mean, but I think it should be more for, I think the level should be, it, it's detrimental to me. I love my, my, my ROI at low stakes. Beautiful. I loved it. I would play more of it if I could. That's why I play on FanDuel now because I don't have as much. I never played that much on FanDuel. So now I can play the $1, $2 contest on FanDuel until I get enough, win enough money there that they ban me from those contests. But why wouldn't I? Rather than go on DraftKings and play and, and, and play the $5, I mean, I'm going to devote more of my bankroll to FanDuel until, until they restrict me. But I think the restrictions should be more so that we really segregate uh, – because that goes along with the first thing of keeping bad players playing longer, going broke slower. It's a it's a big thing in mm-hmm. poker. I the the same uh, Chinese kid, Alan Chang. He used to p- try to put players on tilt at the table. So he's like a seventeen year old mm-hmm. kid, and he said, "You bad, you bad." You know, just like to like berate them for their bad play, not berate them because they wanted their bad play. Mm-hmm. Like they were just making fun of, of other people saying, "You played that hand, you're horrible." Right. You called there. You're, but people didn't want to play with him. And this is the underground poker scene. Mm. So it's, it's a very, it's a smaller community and it's private games. So if people didn't want to play with you, you weren't invited. You weren't in, you know, someone would call and go, is Alan Chang there? No, I'm not coming today because they don't want to be. And this is a losing play. You're driving away losing players. But his attitude was very similar to his hustler background. He sees $500 in front of someone. I want to get that $500. What's the easiest way for me to get that $500 right now? Put the guy on tilt, have them play a hand against you and, and bust them out type of thing. And I say to him, I say, dude, this guy plays like three times a week. He loses a couple of hundred bucks on average, like every time he plays. Said, so do you want his $500 now and then never and then never see him again? Or would you rather get about a hundred bucks today and get a hundred bucks three times a week for the next two years? Said, Maybe you shouldn't be, maybe you should be nice hands, sir. Maybe you should be nicer. Maybe you should be more entertaining to play with. Maybe people should want to play against you. People wanted to play against me. People knew I was better than them. And they still wanted to play with me because they, they, they wanted to beat the better player. But I didn't, I didn't make fun of them. I was always cordial. I was never, someone beat a bad beat. And I just knocked the table, whatever. I'm only playing a personal presenter in my bankroll. I'm not going to go up tilt or anything. I would, I would make fun of, so I, I would always remind people of the hands that they beat. You know, there was, oh, remember that time you beat me with whatever like that? It, it probably, it was a horrible play, but I'm making them feel as if like, I want them to play. I don't want to play against other sharper play. I, I see three other guys at the table. I'm not getting any of these guys. Right? Why are we, why aren't we nicer to these six other guys at the table? Not, you know, and then some people, you know, play with the headphones and the sunglasses. I'm like, who wants to play? People come to socialize. Right. I'm in Brooklyn. I have these Italian guys and these Irish guys. And, you know, they're, they're coming out. This is, this is their social. They're retired or something. And this is what they do. You know, it's one o'clock in the morning to get away from their wife or something. Who knows? Like they want they don't want to sit at a silent table while everyone, uh, you know, d- does their the EV calculations or some something like that. No, <laughs> they're, they're, the, the game is on the lead sports centers on. They're bullshitting. You know, they're doing, you know, so do that. And get the money rather than be just like, I think you know, I, I come from more of that era of poker that the poker boom era where 
Like I see poker now and it's like everything's like headphones, glasses, all like, like where, where, where are you getting the whales from? Where you, where you get like all the, all the money's in the private games now, I guess. I mean, I haven't played poker yeah. like in a long time, like for, for like a live to actually try to make money. Uh, but it's, it's very similar to DFS. We have to, we have to treat the bad players better and we'll, 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 the sharper players will get the money in the long run. We don't have to get it all at once. Wow. So those are, those are two things that you change. I think they're both, and also they're both, they're both protecting the ecosystem, aren't they? Because right. the fact that, you know, these, the, the newer players, whatever, bad players, whatever they can't, you can't play against them also helps them, as well as the obvious payout structure thing. Right. But it's better for, but, but people will say, oh, that's not, that's not good for you. No, that's good for me. I'm going to get more money in the long run. I'm giving up money in the short run. Mm. I want to be able to play DFS for the next 20 years, not have it go away seven years from now because the whole ecosystem dries up. So yeah. Do I want to make the most amount of money in seven years or do I want to make more over 20? I'd rather make more over my, remember my goal, 50 to $75,000 a year. So I'd rather that for the next 20 years until I, until I am 62, 65, whatever, and build up enough money in my portfolio to not have to, you know, care anymore. Right. That type of thing. Like I'd rather that than, Oh, I need to get all the money. Like, like dude, DFS may go away next year. Like I, I, I don't want that. I want it to go on for tw- to 20 years. That's, that actually leads in really nice to me. So my, my next question, do you, um, do you ever get bored by DFS and all no, this content? Not, my, my, not with my personality. Like I said, I get into things and I, and I go, I'm down, down mm. the rabbit hole. So like. But you're doing the same routine. You're doing a very similar routine for almost all slates, almost all sports. No, and but you- it's, it's, but it's like poker. There's always different people at the table, always different chips, there's a chip stacks. There's always, it, it's always, every slate is different. Every slate has its own nuances and strategies and everything. And then you experiment with stuff. You play other sports. There's going to be other formats. I'm hoping my, 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 my bet is on the, the sports betting stuff. Now, not to be a professional sports better. Like, I don't want to, I don't want to be that. I, and I know how to, and I know how to do that. Uh, it's it's tough. It, it probably the toughest part is getting the money down, not actually beating the lines, because not getting limited, you know, all that type of yeah. stuff, and moving the money around, uh, and then you have to put down a ton of money in order to make you know a one to two percent return. So I'm not into that. I'm hoping for the peer to peer sports betting games, and a lot of people think of peer to peer as oh you put up a line and someone takes it like an exchange. Like no, I'm talking about peer to peer games where it's like DFS. Where in its simplest form would be like the Westgate Super Contest, which is basically you pick all the all the 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 the, the lines of the games of NFL on a Sunday, mm-hmm. and over the course of a season, whoever gets the most, you know, wins the whatever. I'm talking about from a daily basis. So let's say there's a game just like DFS. You put down just like a GPP. You put down your five bucks. Right, it's two hundred thousand entries, right? And you can play up to one hundred fifty entries if you want. And you have to pick the that you have. You have to roster six, uh, maybe eight bets, and it's all the it's all the it's the over unders and the, the the spreads, right? So you have to you know it's whatever. And so there's a combination. There's there's twelve games, so there's twenty four combination. You know there's twenty four different, different things that you could do. And there's no, and there's no salaries or anything. So just like any, 
any eight of the 24, or maybe you add another, but you add the money lines to who knows, add whatever that is. And then you have to play, pick, pick the eight ones. And if you get uh, eight out of eight, you win X amount of whatever, you know, similar to DFS, just with bets. And then you put in 10 bucks and you could win hundred thousand bucks. Well, then you know what comes in to those types of contests? Game theory, right? Because it's not about picking the yeah, best. Yeah. It's like, well, 60% of the field is going to pick the money line of this game. And if the underdog wins, how often will the underdog win, right? We had that game like from two or three years ago where the, the Vikings were like 15-point favorite over the Bills. Yeah, yeah. Right? And then the down, Bills yeah. won, right? And yeah. like all these – anyone that was in a survivor pool, like like 80% of the field is done, right? Mm. Like that, But that's yeah. that's what I'm waiting for. I'm waiting for those types of games where people could put in a little bit amount of money and win a lot. Not the sports betting where you're betting mm. minus, minus 110 lines. You're not, not, not that yeah. type of stuff. So then I could look and I go – Okay, let's say I can predict the ownership of the Vikings on that day, right? Oh, 45% of the field is going gonna, is gonna to have the Vikings in their eight-bet lineup. And 4%, right? 4% of, uh, or 5% have the, the, the bills or something like that on the money line. Let's say it's a money line bet. And it's like, well, 5%, that's 20 to 1. Are the bills better than 20 to 1 to beat the Vikings? Like at that money line, maybe they maybe they're a 17 to one shot. It's like, so you're telling me it's plus EV then based on the ownership for me to play some 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 bills lineups and hopefully all the, the relative value of all these other lineups being burnt. Like now I'm describing DF, I'm describing game theory, mm. DFS game theory. So I'm hoping for that. That's the next progression from DFS into those mm. types of games. I don't know what they're gonna look like, but there's gonna be some type of yeah. platform where the users play amongst themselves. The platform takes their 10 or 15%. And then you play, then whoever wins, wins. We don't care who wins. You play amongst yourselves. Like those are the environments that that I look for. Not ones where I'm trying to beat a market or a sports book or, or you know, try to have the best. Pro- that's, do I have the best projections? No, that for sports betting, you would need the best yeah. projections, right? Because you're not playing against anyone. But if I'm playing against other people, I could find the irrationality is in the markets and amongst the field in these types of contests to build lineups, to build car betting cards that have a better shot at winning first place than other li- than other lineups. Put in the volume and there you go and you wait for the money to come. It, it would definitely happen. It definitely seems like the progression, doesn't it? That's Especially in the US, there. maybe not in Europe. Yeah. You guys are less in- innovative out there. Well, also DFS itself isn't massively popular. I never understand. I never I understand that. Well, because we're massively into our betting. We're massively into betting. So we would rather, like you talk about, having to have the projections and the nuts. We'd rather take. We'd rather bet on efficient markets than we would against people who don't know what they're doing. Right, which makes no sense. It makes no sense, does it? No, no but I don't. But F, the thing that I don't understand is like, is fantasy sports in general, like FPL. Oh, massive. Right. So that that that's what I don't understand. How is FPL? massive mm. yet soccer daily fantasy like i i mean people so don't we even have, know about we have um we have a dfs site in europe which you don't have called fan team i mm. don't know if you've heard about them no and i've they, heard i can't play on i wish i can yeah I can't. because they do like the fpl but it's a paid one and they do daily they do weekly and it's the same scoring as fpl you know goals assists clean sheets right which is a hard world there's no peripherals 
<laughs> like yeah. So um, the um, um and Will Saramek said he couldn't play because he's there's no advantage to him because there's not enough stats. And like right, but um, that's the, that's exactly what I said. There's yeah. there's not enough. All all these things are you have the highest variance things. And it's just yeah. like like so. Um, what edge can you have? Well, I mean, some guys are very successful. They seem to have some sort of edge. But anyway, I don't well, also like, FPL, yeah, yeah well, the season. I'm talking about the season. Mm. The season long, you have the transfers. Yeah, I used to. Pl- I used to play FPL, and you know why I stopped playing FPL? Why am I wasting time on something you yeah. can ba- can't make any money on? And this is why I don't stand. Is I don't stand why there's eight million people play the FPL, but there's like I can't remember. It's like fifty thousand, hundred thousand, only fifty thousand or something. You'll play fan team version, which you can win two hundred thousand. You know, but but these are people that would bet on games, so it's like yeah. to me the money it like it's because I, I could understand there are plenty of, there are plenty of people here in the United States that would be like I'll play I'll play fantasy like they'll play fantasy sports uh, a league in their office, mm. but they're or they're they're friends, but they're like paying like a hundred bucks for a fantasy like that ooh <laughs> that's a lot of money or something yeah. like that right like the money but if you're already bet if, if if these are people that are like I'm betting I'm betting. I'm betting a tenner on the on Southampton or something. I mean, yeah. like, like to me, it's not the the money that's the issue. And and and, and you guys and you guys out there with the, with your your betting lines and they're hard. I mean, are people just dumb? I don't know. I don't know. And also the other thing, one of the reasons I do content and stuff, and I got involved in this whole sort of this whole Twitter um, DFS world because I hadn't for years is the fact that I've nobody in my real life who cares about DFS. You know, nobody I can be meet nobody I can meet in the street and talk to them about it because nobody cares about it over here. It's so, it's so weird. But, but even with the bet, but the thing is, I don't even get with the betting. Is it a is it an American thing? Maybe maybe it's an American thing. I think, in it. I mean, I obviously I I I I know people out in Europe. I used to, uh, you, you know, the game Football Manager, right? Yeah. Right. I used to be huge and I used to be huge into Football Manager. Uh, so I know plenty of people from Europe through playing football manager. Uh, it's, 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 I, I don't, I'm not saying this is a positive thing though, even though, you know, I'm American. Americans have a little bit more entrepreneurial kind of oh. like, like out for themselves mm. types of mentalities of like, like, if, Oh, can I play something and get, get one over on someone else? Yeah. Yeah. And profit from it. Like, like, like I think we have a little bit more of a competitive. That's not the British from the, way, like, like the ultra capitalist <laughs> yeah. type of type of mindset. Not saying that's a good thing. I'm not saying that that's a good thing. But look at what I said before. It's like I can't play FPL because I can't make money at it. Like that's yeah. the number one thing to me. Why am I going to spend time on this if my reward isn't financial? Like I don't get any pride out of it. Like I want to be able to put skin mm. in the game, money down, and get a reward for being right. I want to be, I want to make money through my intelligence. Mm. And it seems like in in Europe, people are like, like what, like why would you, like here in the United States, like so, there's a lot of pushback, at least more so than in Europe, on like on palps, like what you would call a pal, a palpable error. Okay, right when when bad lines, right? Yeah. Like if it 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 seems like in Europe. If uh, if a sports book puts up a bad line, they're much more likely to just say, uh, "If anyone bet on it, we're canceling the bets." It was a palp, mm. right? And then all you all you guys out there would be like, "Oh, cheerio!" Oh. <laughs> like all out here, like you put up a bad line, you you can't. There, there are a lot people are filing lawsuits and stuff, <laughs> right? I mean, because because we believe in the free market capitalism mm. of like you you put up a price, we took it. That's your problem that you made a mistake. Mm. 
Don't look, I just capitalized on your mistake. Don't make mistakes, right? So like, to me, I think that that mentality shifts over to like the, the, the difference between FPL and DFS of like, people just enjoy playing FPL for the, the puzzle and the, yeah. and the, you know, the pride. The planning in advance board. and all that, yeah. Right, right. They right. They, I want to plan in advance, and I want to say, yeah. "Oh, I'm I'm thirteen hundredth, whatever, like that." I'm like, oh, oh, "What do I care?" People get excited about being fifty thousand. Yeah, people get excited about being fifty thousand on FPL. You know, hundred thousand and stuff. It's on yeah, their Twitter bio. You only win that if you beat like three million people. No, no. About yeah, no. That's their position, though. That's what they get excited about is being in the top hundred thousand. They can't get in anything. It's crazy. Right. It just doesn't make any sense. Anyway, um, one last question, if I can, Jordan. This is um, this is about the golden rule, um, which is if you have a big win, you have to buy your better half a gift. Oh, oh, that's the golden. Oh, that, is that, that's not the first the rule of DFS. That's first now, rule. My, my, now, my father would say that's not the golden rule. The golden rule is he who he who has the gold makes the rules. Oh, okay. that's, the, that's the golden. That's rule. Like the first he, rule of DFS. Right. Uh, my 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 father my father was a salesperson. My, so yeah. like the Glengarry Glen Ross references and stuff like that. Like that that was like, that was kind of like my how I was raised. Okay. It was not 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 the greatest of childhoods when you're basically told life isn't fair and then you die. Right. Like <laughs> like like. But that's that's the mentality that I come from. Hey, so so you know, the golden rule is who has the gold makes yeah. the rules. But the, the the first rule of DFS. Yeah. The first rule. It's yeah. easy. You know, Mark. Yeah. Yeah. Well. But, I yeah. mean, you, but but what did you what did you do? I mean, what you couldn't have done much winning that. The, the no, no, no. But I did just win a thousand dollars in the DraftKings World Cup. Okay. So I think so. Did your significant other get a gift of any type? She will do because obviously we're locked down here at the moment still. So um, what are they doing out there? What are the Delta virus? The Delta yeah. variants out there? Yeah. Who knows what they're doing? I don't know. Are it's you like, not vaccinated? What's going making, on? They just make they're they're making it up as they go along. Um, well, you have as a prime minister it looks like he should yeah well be. just don't don't get me started we'll go another two hours <laughs> if you get me started on politics trust me especially at the moment no but i mean but i mean the gift has to be uh, the, the two th- the two things that i do in dfs as tradition when i win a large field gpp i buy the jersey of the lowest on player in the lineup and it has to be a large field gpp i'm not yeah. spending a hundred dollars on a on a jersey uh, for <laughs> for you know Five thousand dollar win already. No. We're talking about twenty five, fifty, a hundred thousand. Uh, and the the second, the fir- the first rule. Anytime you get a big win, that Boxing Day win, three months in, I I, I bought my wife something, something or other, right? Because then, because once you once you buy, and you go, oh oh, now that now they let you do your line. Then out now the hour before lock is lineup time, right? I just bought I I I, I won uh, ten thousand in baseball a uh, week and a half ago. Uh, uh, and my wife asked me uh, before that said uh, said if you if you if you win more than ten if you get a ten thousand dollars score your next ten ten thousand dollar plus score can you buy me a new cricket machine it's like it's like a crafting machine that okay. does cutting or whatever like that she does crafting and stuff and she needs a new one the, the new model is better than the one that she has or something like that and it's like four hundred bucks so like. Fine. And then, you know, a week later, it's like, yep, 10,000. It's like, go order your cricket machine. That's right. So like, once you put the incentives into place, then, you know, I, I know that, you know, if it's a seven o'clock lock for MLB and it's six o'clock, like that hour before lock or soccer or something like that, like that's, that's my work. That's, that's daddy's work time. Right. <laughs> like I'm doing like that, but it's true. Like yeah, yeah. they'll, tr- they'll treat your play as much more serious 
and much more like, oh, you're actually good at this because there's probably plenty of people out there that play DFS casually, but take it too seriously. They're not making a lot of money, but they're making a little, little bits here and there. And their significant others probably thinking, why are you spending all your time on the computer looking and building lineups and going and sort of looking on your phone and everything is ruining their relationship. No, no, you have to build it into the relationship. You have to put, you have to give them skin in the game. Right. <laughs> yeah. So um, yeah, that's so funny. I have, um, I have definitely contributed over the years when I've had a few decent sized wins and stuff, but this is my biggest one. So for a while, so I need so to what, what are you spending it on? What, what, what's the gift? Mm, I think it's probably going to end up being a spa day. Okay. But, but it's like, got to be you should probably spend a thousand dollar win. You should probably spend like fi- around $50. Yeah, I, I think I'll spend more. It'll be more than that. I think yeah, it'll see, end up being more giving, than that. You're giving up too much edge. You're I mean, giving, <laughs> see, this is bad bankroll management. I know. It's like, <laughs> this is why I needed to speak to you, Jordan. This is it. Right. It's like, you know, because so, someone in, in the Rotogrinders Discord won like a GPP for like, like uh, like uh, $800 or something like that. And that was his biggest win so far, mm. right? So, I mean, he was a low stakes player. And it's like, what jersey do I get? It's like, you're not going to, it's a, you know, an $80, you don't spend 10% of your <laughs> okay. winnings on a souvenir. Okay, so when, when, when she doesn't get a spa day, I'll say, look, I spoke to Jordan Cooper about this. We decided it was too much. Get a spa <laughs> hour, get a spa hour. What's a spa? What's the point of that? It means long to drive us to get there and like, what a spot. Get a massage. Just get a massage. That's it. <laughs> well, I think that's as good a note as any to end on is, um, is my marriage. So, like, thank you very much for all that time, Jordan. That's been fantastic. And it's been no, a lot no of fun. No problem. I've, I've, been, I've been listening. I, I, I hope there's more, more good DFS players we've, that you have on the show. We've got another and, one uh, who hasn't come out. I recorded last week who hasn't come out yet. Who's come out tomorrow. Who's another, um, you know, 500 lineups a, a night sort of guy. Um, we're generally, um, what's the word? Um, focusing, not focusing, sort of um, celebrating UK players where we can. But the, not every, not all of them I know want to come on. So, like, yeah. okay, but <laughs> but, you had, but at, at least at least I'm not a UK player, but I'm an American who actually does does follow soccer. So yeah, exactly. No, well, so that, I, I have some Jordan, semblance. Jordan, you call it. Don't worry, don't worry. You qualify. It's like yeah, and the fact that you're you're like um, you're the second greatest soccer DFS player and all that. So like you know, no, I'm probably not even the second. I'm, I'm probably not. I need to. We need to. What we need to do, Mark. Mm. What we need to do for soccer DFS for the sake of the soccer DFS community, we we need to have a, a special podcast series, an investigative. Do it all. Investigative podcasts are all the rage now, right? Okay. They have all these true crime and all this stuff. <laughs> We need to have a five-part series, investigative series on finding out who Red Code eighty five is. You don't know? No, no one knows. <laughs> doesn't no one know? Will doesn't know either, right? I, I've not asked him. Maybe we'll ask him. He, no, he's, he's an enigma. No one knows who this guy is. <laughs> guy, girl, it could be it could be multiple people. I don't know. That's what we need to do. That I, I, I want. I want that to be an investigative series. <laughs> okay. To well, track down the missing, the red coated. Who is this person? Why is he an enigma? Okay, maybe after the NFL season, we'll get that one going. Okay. okay is he a UK this. player? I don't even know. We don't even know. Maybe is he? Maybe he's someone that I know that that. Uh, who knows? That's you the might... number one thing. My in six years of DFS. Yeah. The one thing that anyone in the side who is red coat eighty five. You might talk to him every day, Jordan. Who on Twitter? Someone <laughs> yeah, exactly, or, or on YouTube or whatever. It might be, it might be one of them. 
Oh, he's better stuff to do. He's running like 700 lineups in like every contest across multiple sports. So I don't think he has time for me. <laughs> well, that's been great. And, um, and people, where can people get, you know, find your content? Where do they need to yeah, go? You can follow me on Twitter, Blender HD on Twitter. Uh, you get my course, Game Theory yeah. of DFS. It applies to every sport. So uh, theoryofdfs.com. It's 15 hours. It's like, a, it's like a seminar. So like you could listen to it over and over and over again if you want. Uh, and then uh, Roto-Grinders, you know, I, I put out stuff there. I'm always on Monday through Friday, 11 o'clock Eastern. So that would be 4 p.m. UK 4 time. PM, yeah. And it's, it, it, it's a general DFS strategy show, but it's all based around whatever sport happens to be going on at the time. Uh, MLB is primarily now, but... On Fridays, sometimes I talk about MMA or if you have PGA stuff on Wednesdays or once NFL comes around, we could, you know, showdown slates for NFL, like whatever it is, feel free to tune in and ask whatever you want in YouTube or you could subscribe. There's a podcast version if you want to listen to it later. Uh, and uh, yeah, and I also do NFL stuff once it comes around for Roto Grinders, but I tweet everything out anyway. So as long as you follow me on Twitter at Blender HD, you'll know everything. The pregame show is great education for anybody. I really recommend that. And Mondays with McCool is fantastic because there's no other show who talks about DFS quietly in that way. I could think because James, you and James just talk about it in such a... Right. And I do the same thing with Eric Bimefor on the Theory yeah. of DFS podcast. So if you subscribe <laughs> to that podcast, you, you, you could probably subscribe to that. You could probably follow me on Twitter and subscribe. You have all the content, right? You could listen to me every day of the week if you want. I, I don't know if you want to do that, but you can. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you're like me, too tight to buy a course, then that's how you would do it. So, like, <laughs> anyway, well, thank you very much again, and um, fingers crossed for the um, forthcoming NFL season for you. Another big win for you, hopefully, and um, and for I, me I as can't well. control it. I, if it, if the math works out, then hopefully I get there. Yeah. Got 18 <laughs> weeks to do so. Let's see. And they've got an extra week of regular season. Yeah, I got an year, extra. So. I got a little bit, a little bit more of the yeah. sample size. Okay. Plus EV. Plus EV. Yes. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you very much, Jordan. And Rush Nation, we'll see you on the next podcast. HIV is still an issue in Montgomery County. The more open we're able to talk about HIV, we treat it like any other health prevention. PrEP stands for pre-exposure prophylaxis. People who are not HIV positive who may be at high risk for contracting the disease. This is a good choice for you. It's just a way for you to sort of take control and say, I'm going to do this to protect myself. Do it for them. Do it for you, Montgomery County. Learn more about PrEP, the HIV prevention medication. Visit doitforumc.org. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. 
Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 